welcome back to another exciting episode of Lost of Lieutenant. I'm your host Kevin, and on tonight's show, I'm joined by a fellow host, Nick, and we've also got special guest, Callum. Thanks for having me on. Yay! All right, so uh, Callum is our special guest host on tonight's show as we recap a recent Burn City brawl, which was Melbourne's and possibly Australia's biggest Infinity event since 2019. Um, so he uh, he's the he took out and won a uh, Burn City Brawl. So we figured it'd be a great time to get him on the show and talk about how he went in his games, and uh, yeah, how he how he claimed the uh, the coffee cup, which is the uh, the trophy that we hand out to winners in the shape of a keep cup because Melbourne fucking loves its coffee. Um, practical uh, practical trophies are absolutely the best. Absolutely, yes, yes, that's that's definitely right. Yeah, I've, I still have mine from 2019. I use it daily for my commute to and from work, or sorry, pre pre pandemic. Sorry, nowadays I just use it to walk around with. Um, but we'll um, we want to get into a bit of uh, getting to know you, Callum. But before we get into that, we'll just do the usual, um, you know, news and stuff. Uh, we want to get into the. BCB pretty quickly tonight, so we'll just kind of hash out through the February challenges, quarterly challenges, then we'll sort of get to know you, Callum, and then we'll jump into the the games. Yeah, so I mean, we don't really have any news, do we? There hasn't been any special announcements or anything come out since we've last met, so we'll probably just recap on the challenges and go from there. I think so, yeah. The the, the uh, <laughs> We've had no, no no real news about the FEQ. We, we know that... Uh, um, Hel- there, are cha- there are changes and they are coming, uh, but not quite just yet. So. Yeah, we know that Heloise is, is recovering from a, from from um, he's he's not feeling too too great at the moment. So uh, he's got a he's got a slip disc or something. Yeah, so everyone so, is, bit, is bit standing of pain by over that way. But wish him wish him uh, wish him well and all the best and yeah. and hope he makes a speedy recovery. He's he's in he's in Spain without the S or with and without the S. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh, that's, uh, <laughs> Well done, Nick. I like that one. Um, <laughs> you say that to him. Um, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. So you got one week left of the February challenge, uh, which is this month is close combat. Uh, so it's play a game of Infinity that leverages the use of close combat. Um, because we all know Infinity is predominantly a shooting game, but there are some excellent close combat units and excellent ways to leverage close combat in your games of Infinity to get victory. Um, so, you know, the usual things, right, try to think about um, the use of uh, fides, uh, ninjas, bears, and dogs, but also things more defensive, such as blue coats uh, and varangians. Um, and then write in your report to us at lossoflieutenant at gmail.com, and a random winner will be chosen at the end of the month to win a lister from the lovely people over at Toy Soldier Imports. Anything you want to add on that? No, I, I, um, so, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, that one. I did a bunch of uh, close combat at, um, at Burn City Brawl. I'm not sure yes, if much of it had, uh, had, had the desired effect, but uh, I, tr- I tried to write a limerick this afternoon about one of the close combat engagements, and I got up to um, uh, my Shaolin engaged an Azura, but then I couldn't r- figure something that rhymed with Azura, so that's... <laughs> As far as I got, the, uh, my 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 Shaolin engaged in Azura. Um, it's in, his intent could not have been purer. He dodged into contact and then got shot. Yeah, the, 
and that was the end of that. Um, yeah, we we have been getting a little bit of um, feedback from people just kind of asking, like, does this count as close combat? And I'm like, well, did you do it? And did, you, did you do the skill you, close combat attack? Yeah, and, using using a role using your close combat statistic. That's right, and and I think um, it's it's a fair point because sometimes that will happen incidentally, and incidentally is fine. But some of the reports we have been getting in are very much like. Oh, I there was a CC engagement and I lost it, and that was it. Which it doesn't quite fit with the the theme of the challenge, which was to try to leverage it to win, not just it happens because you know it it happened, but to build a list and and try to use it in in new and interesting ways to think, you know, to get people to think about how maybe a unit that you might not use that often, um you know, might have some good CC skills, might have natural born warrior, for example, and just being able to use that skill to, 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 um, you know, to, to your advantage, um, rather than just being like, I played a game, I got into CC, it was great, the end. Um, but yeah, anyway. So what we're basically saying, Kevin, to our listeners is just do better, right? <laughs> like it doesn't have to be successful, but at least, you know, have it in part of your game plan. Have 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 an intention. Have an intention. What you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's all good. Um, and then our other challenge is the quarterly challenge, which will be running till the end of uh, March, which is a new new technique. So we want you to experiment with new painting or hobby techniques, things like non-metallic metal and glazing, uh, using an airbrush. I know Nick, you have recently picked up an airbrush. I have. I went to I went to uh, Metro Hobbies in Box Hill, got an airbrush. Got myself a new compressor. I got a little um, spray booth thing. Uh, haven't had a chance to try it out yet, but uh, still, uh, what six weeks to go until the end of this challenge? So you've got I'll, some time. Uh, definitely get uh, get get that in under my belt. Also, starting I'm starting a new faction as well. So all that's got to be painted. What new faction are you starting? What what uh, what company? Oh right, yes, you've yeah the other white. Yeah, the other white meat. Yes, I remember us talking about this a lot on the last episode. Yeah, I really, I would love to see how you get on with airbrushing. I keep wanting to pick it up and then not really knowing where to start, which sometimes is the hardest part of um, getting a new technique is not knowing yeah. where to start. I think uh, for me, airbrushing has just absolutely revolutionized how I paint stuff. Not that I used to paint that much stuff before, but like I paint so much more now and it just makes life so much easier. Um is that because of the ba- the base coating, or, or like in what ways make yeah. it easier? Yeah, well, because it it the first I was using it for was zenithal, which is because it's one of those things I find that it, your use of it builds really easily. So I started using it just as zenithal things to then contrast paint or or whatever over the top of that, and that it just means you're using it regularly and getting the hang of it because it's a very different mechanical skill um, to get like to use it without it clogging or all that sort mm. of thing. So then after I was zenithaling it, then it was like, okay, well, I may as well base coat one color for my miniatures after I've zenithaled it with something sort of mid-opacity so the zenithal shows through. So then it's like, okay, so then after that, it was, well, it's not that much more work to put a highlight coat with the airbrush. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I'm doing most of my painting with an airbrush. Right. And are you still going back and uh, washing or edge highlighting or is it doing a good enough job? Washing... Um, definitely. So my, my current workflow for most things is like uh, Zenithal, a base coat of a color, a highlight in the same sort of angle the Zenithal was usually, and then a wash, either um, uh, Citadel ones, or I'm using a bit of ink washes at the moment. Uh, sorry, um, oil washes. 
and that the airbrush as well. No, no, just no. just normally. So yeah. like um, Citadel just slam it all over, or ink um, oil washes. You got to be a little more careful with. But then that really that's that takes no time at all, and it leaves you with a gorgeous color and a really nice transition between light and dark. Uh, mm. And yeah, it looks amazing, way better than anything I've painted in terms of matte colors on armor before. And it's, it's taking like a quarter of the time. It was interesting, actually. I think it was last night. I watched a YouTube video from um, uh, Mr. Shy, that Mr. Shy guy. Oh yeah, um, who was a big Infinity fan. It was one of his older videos where he was painting a. Um, uh, Battletech um, robot thing, and he was painting it white. And he, the whole video was about this uh, technique for painting white, where basically you, you paint the thing white, and then you do a oil wash over it, and then you just use the white spirits to then clean up the bits that you don't want to look darker, so that white comes through that way. So it's almost mm. like doing it in reverse, um, which I thought was really interesting for 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 for, for a technique. So. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, the quarterly challenge, if you want to try try out using oil paints, that's another thing you could look at. Just you talk about that reminds me of I don't know if, if this ever happened to you in school or primary school, like art class when they were like, we're going to we're going to draw a picture using an eraser, where you like paint the whole page black and then you rub it out with the eraser and it looks like oh you're like oh my god I'm so artistic. That's what that's that technique essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, rubbing out the darkness. <laughs> Except when I do it with this, it looks good. And when I was in art class, it just came out absolutely horrific. <laughs> right, yeah. So you've got to the end of March to get that. Um, again, lostlieutenant at gmail.com. We want a before picture and then an after picture or up to four after pictures. Uh, you can show us a picture of a technique, like an old technique versus a new technique. If you want to sort of show that contrast of like maybe you tried out... Um, non-metallic metal you can sort of show like an older model without how you used to do it maybe with metallics and then in, in non-metallic to sort of um highlight um the the technique you've learned so we know that you've actually learned a new technique um and then yeah the winner of that challenge will be randomly drawn and win a box set of the choice from toy soldier imports anything else before we move on that's it i don't think we've got any upcoming announcements uh, in terms of events, the one thing we've been plugging BCB was last weekend, so yeah, uh, we don't we don't need to push that anymore. There uh, there is BrizCon, which is uh, which I've actually had on the run sheet and then deleted it, so forgot that one. Uh, that is in uh, sometime in April. Uh, <laughs> it's in Brisbane. Vizzy's uh, plugging that one. I think it's just after. So during the um, Anzac long weekend. So if you guys, if anyone's around in the Brisbane area wants to go to that. Um, if I'm around, I'm actually really keen to head up there. It'll depend on, on work and a few other things. Because those guys are yeah, real I'd, fun to play against. I'd be keen to go up if yeah. I get time. Well, if we can get a crew, that might be something that we could we could, we could could organize now that um, the things are starting to look a bit safer to move around. Awesome. Um, well... Then, yeah. Sorry, there was also the uh, Escalation event that's happening this weekend at Throw the Dice in Geelong. Val yeah, so ran one last month. When we say this weekend, is that happening on Sunday? Correct, Sunday the... The 27th of February. Correct. Uh, and so it's an Escalation, so it's three uh, points levels increasing. I don't have the details in front of me, but um, I think if check it's that a, out. If it's the same as last time, it was 150, uh, 200, 250, 300. 
was right. the um was the the three the three games. So it was the same one that I went and won last time. <laughs> I can only some new players. Yeah, I can only win like non ITS weird events. Like I can win escalation events and I can win four hundred point events, but fuck me if I can win a three hundred point. Okay, so before we get into the Burn State Bell recap, I wanted to take a moment and introduce and get to know Callum a little bit more because he's not been on the podcast before. We uh, he's not one of the players that we 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 talk about all that regularly uh, on the on the podcast. So we figured it would be a good opportunity to uh, to get to know you. So Callum, um, how did you get into well wargaming and then in Infinity, wargaming more generally and then in Infinity. Yeah, wargaming has been one of those ones since I was a kid and I never really had the money when I was a kid and so now that I have the money and uh, enough time just, it's sort of become my main hobby. Uh, Infinity, I think I just found the models somewhere online. I think they were the, the Nomad sculpts, like the original Nomad sculpts, and I was just like, holy shit, this is, these are by far the coolest looking things that I've seen. Um, so I started playing with a mate uh, and then I think um, we started playing, and then that was about the time you started playing, Nick, right? That's right. That's what I was going to mention. Yeah, Callum, uh, you and I are actually of the same vintage uh, <laughs> when it comes to Infinity. Uh, we both played in the same slow grow league that was run by Russell uh, yep. back in 2017. Yeah. Uh, was uh, was when that was, like mid 2017. So, was that a general uh, games? Yeah, general games right, before yep. they changed locations in the, like that back room that they had mm. that we could set up all the tables. That was the same back room that uh, we decided to start making a podcast in as well. So it was, uh, yeah, a lot, oh, of, right. a lot of magic happened out the back of that general general game store. A yeah, and that that was the that slow grow, and then those regular monthly tournaments. That's that we right. Played was sort of the school of hard knocks or like terrifyingly hard knocks because <laughs> for a intro beginner sort of set up like what Val's running at the moment. But it was Julian, who was even then very, very good at the game, and Barry, who oh, yeah. know, comes up in conversation, but he's also terrifyingly good at the game. Um, and so it was like, welcome to your first like chill tournament. Uh, here's Barry. He's going to wipe you off the table in a single turn before you get to have a, have a go. Um, that's right. Or, or, yeah. here's, or here's Julian who's playing an avatar. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I remember because I think we, we we were we all part of that same um, was that a slow grow league like monthly thing in in the, yeah. in the in the in the in the game store. I think yeah, there was there was yeah Barry was in that Barry was in that league. I'm not sure if Hector was. I remember playing a game against Hector in that store for the first time and discovering how delay worked for Camo and just being like, oh, what? Like didn't understand it. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, he was terrifying to play against. Yeah, I guess that is. Yeah, I guess that was. I think I must have started like a, like a year before you guys did. Mm-hmm. So I was no better. Like I was still like <laughs> very much learning the game. And look, those guys were all. Everyone was really nice in terms of teaching the game, and it was a great place to learn it. But you sort of had to learn it pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, we did. We did come up in a bit of a shark tank. Um, <laughs> At at the time, so hopefully uh, we've learnt from that with the with the biggest uh, resurgence of of new players coming into the community now, particularly at 
BCB where we've had half players and new players. Hopefully we've we've learnt from the way that we came in and uh, are helping them out a bit a bit differently. So yeah, but like that was like 2017, 2018. Um, I can't remember. Did you? Um, uh, sorry, I haven't seen you around the traps in a little while. Have you still been getting games in, or is it sort of been COVID no. that's sort yeah, of stopped I, it? I, I guess because over the entire time I've played Infinity, I've almost only just played tournaments because trying to find time for casual games has been really difficult um between study and work so then I, I tended to just play tournaments and so then when COVID hit and there wasn't any tournaments i just stopped playing so i haven't prior to this since i obviously end of n3 and then COVID and then n4 came out i probably tried tts once didn't gel with it because i just couldn't see the map and the sight lines the way i was used to and then i so i didn't play at all uh, and then I had a practice game. I went to Canberra for those three games for the mini CanCon or, or CantCon. Uh, oh, Can you, oh, you went you went to CanCon. Oh. I went to CanCon or and then caught COVID there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. Which they were trying to avoid by making it a small tournament, which you know I really like appreciate. That just effort. happened to everybody though, right? Everyone, yeah. we, I did the same thing. Went went to the river at New Year's to get away from COVID, and we and someone <laughs> got it at the river. I'm like, yeah. Ah, oh, as a quick so aside, then, yeah, how... so... sorry, carry on. Oh, oh. No, just, and so yeah, I, I played the games at Canberra, um, and then that's been my ex- prior to BCB. That was the only N4 that I've played. Shit. So you played so up until BCB, you played three games of N4, four, four, ga- four, four, four. games of N4. Yeah. As a quick that's aside, a... how how was that CanCon? Because that was run by by Rob Cantrell. Yeah, it was it was really good. Like um, it was uh, I I really appreciated the the communication around obviously COVID being the big problem and like talking to the players being like, do we want to do it in the main thing? We're not really sure how it's going to work. Do you want to just still do a small thing, which we said yes to. And then they were really welcoming because a mate and I went up and the tables were just gorgeous. There were some really interesting tables there. Um, It was really well run. They had this little hall booked out. They organized pizza for us for lunch. It was really good. Oh, good. And it was a one day, right? Yeah, because there wasn't the there was only like sixteen people there. And how did you where did you place at CanCon? Uh, maybe third or fourth, I think. I won two and then lost the final round. Right, good. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I didn't actually know that. I, I think I did hear from Rob that a couple of people from Melbourne went, but I forgot to mention uh, ask who it was. So it was you and who did you go up with? Josh, if you remember, the mate of mine that started about the same time. Oh shit! I haven't seen. Tano. I haven't seen Josh in a, in a long time either. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah, so many he, memories. He he sort of went off it a bit with um some aspects of Infinity. So we're playing a bit of 40k now and some other other things like sort of chiller games. Yeah, right. So that was guess I guess that was going to be like the question is like so you 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 are playing other games and and is Infinity still still keeping your holding your interest? It's still your main game. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's still by far the I reckon the best like tight competitive war game that exists. Um, Warhammer and other have their own niche of like beer and pretzels, which I'm also very in for. But Infinity is one of the few balanced ones. It's one of the few ones that has a really cohesive, excellent rule set, which is easy to well apart from intermittent FAQ things have all the answers for, so you're not left in the lurch about how something works. Uh, so it's it's one of the few ones that I think actually really works in a tournament setting. Mm. And and when you can when you can play four games of the new edition and then go on to win 
the biggest tournament in the past four years. I mean, it's an easy game, right? <laughs> the past four years. <laughs> Just threw that one out there. <laughs> N4 is is definitely a, a simplification and an improvement, like a really good change, I think, to the game. Everything that I came across that they had changed was was like, yeah, I, I like this. Um, this makes sense. But there was definitely a lot of learning over the course of the day. We'll get to that in the in the recap. <laughs> Every game, I was like, ah, oh, that's how that works. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be interesting uh, to go through um, to go through the the event uh, tonight with with the, with the two of you. Um, but we'll uh, so we'll get to the Burn City Brawl. So as listeners should know, we've been <laughs> our first BCB was in 2019, and then we tried running one in 2020, and that obviously got cancelled. And then we tried running one in 2021, and then that got cancelled. So we ran it in 2022, but kept the name of 2021 because we were lazy and didn't change the event name. And also, it means that we can technically run a 2022 later on this year if we um, can get our act together. Um, so yeah, and it was run out of the Collingwood Masonic Center in Collingwood, and it was. Um, I guess I throw it over to you guys. Like, what did you think of the venue? I thought it was great. Um, really good space. Uh, like, I mean, if it was if the if it was really hot, it might struggle. But like, the weekend wasn't too hot or anything. Um, real high ceilings. The, the room was quite echoey, but. Um, I feel like once all the games started going and there was just that din um, of, of of noise, it didn't really impact it. It just made it a bit harder if we were trying to hear people on the stage make any announcements. Um, the size of the venue was great. We could definitely we could easily fit more tables in than we had. Um, and so if we needed it again in the future for, for other bigger events, definitely. It's great location as well. Um, loads of pubs and cafes and things close by so yeah i think the very much it was a really good size um i agree it would have got pretty hot if it if it had been much hotter but it was fine as was um good parking good access central i liked not having to drive all the way out to house of war um yeah that was definitely a a, a big thing of um of the last you know, of trying to organise it was trying to make it more central because I think in days gone by, because you still live out east, don't you, Callum? Okay. Yeah, I'm uh, north, very just north. Yeah, right. So yeah, in days gone by, I think the most of the Infinity players lived out east, um, and it seemed to make more sense to have things out east. But as the player base grew and moved um, out west, where I guess maybe housing's more affordable, and and uh, there's some guys moved out to Geelong and, and things like that, it sort of became you know, a real trek for people to come from Geelong. You know, it's a, basically a two-hour drive to get from um, Geelong to, to House of War. So having it, you know, having it in the centre, uh, having it sort of more in the middle of the city um, was, was good. And we're, we were glad that it was, yeah, it fit all our needs. Definitely on the, the temperature front, uh, I was a bit shocked when we didn't act, when I was told that it had heating but no cooling. And I was like, oh my God, I hope it's not a 39 degree day like, you know, we had a few weeks ago. Thankfully, it was only like 27 um, but then it does sort of um, go back to like I think Infinity should be run in like if we can run it in the winter like run it not in the peak of summer um, because you just you know it's much better to be be cool than be sweating in a shed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that was uh yeah so that's uh, that was a venue. Uh, yes, yeah, so I think you said before we had thirty two players. We did have closer to f- we did actually have forty. Or 
but we had um, several drops when we changed the date to February and then a few more drops in the lead up due to um, conflicting um, events and people catching COVID. Um, which is just the nature of the the world we live in right now. But being able to you know keep it above thirty players, which was kind of the the aim, um, wasn't this wasn't forty like we had in twenty nineteen. But given the people, the players that we lost um, through through various means, we could easily punch above forty for um, for the next time we run it. Um, and then we also had four interstate players in the end. Um, all four of them came from New South Wales. So special shout out to. Frank, Taro, and James, who came down from um, Sydney, and then Ryan from Brutal Cities came down as well, um, also from Sydney, um, and so it was really great to to meet them and um, see see how they played the game because a lot of them were the three of those guys there, Frank, Taro, and James were all um, well. I would say new players in that they haven't played a tournament before, but they have been playing a lot of games, you know, between the three of them over 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 COVID um, and in Sydney, so. That was really great to see them, and they were also like lovely guys. Awesome, awesome um, to meet them and to share a few beers with them. And then Ryan as well, who brought the best best table um, trophy down with them, which I think also created quite a lot of um, um, commotion because it was quite a unique trophy. I still, I still, I think. So when we were setting up on Friday, um, I cracked open that trophy and put it together. What he'd done was using his laser cut um mdf technology uh he uh created like a little plinth thing with different shapes positioned in different places inside of it but when you looked at it front on it made the um the logo of the burn city brawl event the little flame that you guys have have made um had that in the center of it so it's the sort of thing that would definitely fit right uh, in, look, look, in, look, look at home in the middle of some sort of corporate park or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I was uh, the, my only complaint about it was that it was. I thought it was going to be the actual trophy, and so <laughs> I, I thought I was going to be taking it home. Oh, for um, the event. Yeah, I remember yeah. you saying that. I was like, don't don't want to get that too. I'm like, no, no, no. You needed to, you needed to make a, a table for that. I did bring a table. I just you, didn't win anything. Just didn't win it. Yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was um, it was you know credit to to Ryan, like he he is an art he is an architect by trade, so you can sort of see that coming through in the design. And and when I gave him the brief, I was, I just expected him to make like a little, um, yeah, like a little I don't know, like a, essentially a trophy that looked a bit like a monument. But then he went the extra step and made this kind of perspective bending thing, like you see you might see in a corporate park, just really fits his style and it fit the the venue and it was yeah it was excellent. And uh, and then going over like going back to what you said about the trophy being useful, you know it's not just a trophy, but you can put it on the table and it's a usable piece of terrain. That's right. Um, I was going around to everyone that I could uh, that I everyone that I could to encourage to vote for my table because I, <laughs> I wanted to take that home to put it in the middle of my table. Yeah. Um, my my table ended up coming in fifth in term, in the uh in the table rankings um <laughs> which is not which is not it bad. was good no no your table was great i vo- I voted for your table um oh thank you yeah it looks it, it looks it looked great it looked like a a city uh really enjoyed it the, the winner of that eventually was actually peter but you know which which made sense because seeing as he was he, also one of the event organizers yes yes so peter uh peter myself and chris were the three event event organizers in the day uh and pete won the the best table 
uh, with his shipyard uh, shipyard docks table. I think people would have seen yeah, it the on docks, the, the yeah. docks. Yeah, yeah. Um, we all the photos are up online, but I'm sure we'll share them again when we publish the episode. But it's that docks table is just amazing. Yeah. I've never, I haven't had a chance to play on it yet, so I don't know how well it plays. But no, just it, it plays. It, it plays well. I played on it round two, um, and it was it was really good. Like it had the right amount of uh, movement. Oh, because I was worried that the water aspect, which we treated as, imp- as impassable, was going to be a problem. But it played really well. Oh right, right, yeah, yeah. And no, I, I played on it a couple of times, and and the first time I played on it was I, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy it. But I think um, that might have been before he added a few more uh, elements to it and like finished it off. But it looks, it looks amazing, and it does play very well. And it's there's, um, it's very well painted. It looks great, and there's so many like nice little. Um, character elements to it from like the fish that's on the hook on the crane to like just the water that is you know around around the ship and how that how you how you access that ship is really interesting and fun um but yeah i I guess in general like the tables um we'll get into that like the table general table quality layout of the day everyone was happy with more or less There, there was no no tables there that I hated. Um, obviously, uh, conversations with your opponent beforehand on a few things. When I played, Calum and I had a game in round four, and um, there were on your table, Kev. Actually, um, the the brutal cities table of yours, and mm. um, we just decided not to um, not to go inside the small buildings because it was going to be too hard to take them apart while we're playing, and also not to go on the roof of the big buildings because it was just too inaccessible for everything, yeah. um, which made our game a lot smoother as well. Um, mm. Played on Julian's table as well, which Julian likes to sort of boast about how shit his table is, but I think it's fine. Um, it, I think it came apart a bit in the final round because I played on it. Oh, you on played on the final, final round, round, didn't you? Yeah, and we had to heavily edit it because the location of the – uh, of the beacon was going to be already, you know, it's already a mission that favors going second, and then uh, capture and protect. That is, and then the beacon was going to be very defendable on one side and very not defendable on the other. So we just sort of ad hoc moved around a bit until we decided that it looked a bit more balanced. And I think that's good that you can do that with your opponent as well. Is mm. um, yeah, I've I've played on games before where some people were just like, well, that's just how that's just how it is, and you're like, well. You know, this might work for supremacy, but it doesn't work for capture and protect. And and you know, we as players should be able to move stuff in in a way that both of us can agree is is a bit more balanced. I mean, we're not we're not saying it should be symmetrical, but in such a way that both players have a chance at winning. Um, yeah, because if if both of you look at the table and go, "I'm not going to enjoy the way it's currently set up," mm-hmm. then why not just tweak it so that you can both have fun on it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, with 16 tables, um, the majority of them were brought by myself and Peter. We spent most of Friday night or, you know, all Friday sitting up sort of just our tables. Um, And then, uh, you know, you, Callum, came in and set up your table on Saturday. You did your one on Friday, Nick. And there was a few others that were set up by people kind of on the the Friday, just, you know, we came in to help out um, some sort of club, more club tables. Um, and you know, the we did our best, I guess, as TOs to go around and check them all. But there were some, there were a few complaints about a few tables 
over the course of the day. Unfortunately, some of them we didn't know about until probably round four or round five, which was a bit disappointing because it made me wonder that, you know, well, the first three people who play in this table, did they have a bad time and just not tell anybody? Um, so it's, it's um, I feel partly responsible for not going around and actually, you know, checking in on people. But I guess because we'll get to it, because we had quite a lot of new players, some new players probably just didn't know that this might have been a bad table they might have just been you know playing you know their 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 game and, and just kind of going oh well i'm not very good at this game it's probably not the table it's me um which i think came out a little bit um in the wash afterwards some some of the new players were just like oh i had a really hard time on that on that in this game and and look at the table and you're like oh it's because you played on the aristea table that's probably mm. why you may have had a hard time moving up the board um yeah you kind of need to know a lot about a lot of how the game operates to be able to look at a table and intuit whether it's going to be any good or not, um, or what its issues are, because you have to understand all the possible things you might want to do ahead of time. So it's understandable not to look at it and know that. That's right, and I think most of the ta- most of the tables in general were were um, were at least good. Um, and, you know, I think a few players had some bad experiences on tables, but that may also be, you know, down to the mission, like you're saying, capture and protect, and their army as well. Um, you know, if you so some tables were literally, if you don't bring a sniper rifle or an HMG, you're gonna have a bad time. Um, which is in stark contrast to some of the more denser denser tables that Melbourne we like to talk about, where you know <laughs> you're probably fine if you only bring Spitfire range bands. Um, actually, did you guys either of you find that on the weekend? Um, the density um, of the tables. I I thought there was a mix. Like there was some some tables needed more Spitfire range bands and and rifles, and some needed more sniper and HMG. Uh, and I think that's that's more recently how I've been coming around to list building is thinking about tables and possible table setups rather than missions or matchups. Mm. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that a bit on other podcasts. People talk about you know building for the mission or building for the table or building for the army, and um, I think building for the table is really interesting. It does rely on maybe knowing what the tables are like. I guess we'll get into when we talk about your lists. We'll we'll talk about more. But mm. did you find that Nick yourself? Um, yeah, I didn't have any issues with um, any of the tables that I played on, and like the the faction that I was playing doesn't really take much advantage of the super long range bands anyway. So um, there was no tables that I was like unable to play the game that I wanted to play. Okay. All right. Oh, we'll we'll get into it more when you guys get into the list, but we'll, um, we'll, uh, we talk about 32 players. So we'll just get into the, the army breakdowns. Um, So I think we had every major faction represented uh, so Pano, Yujing, Ariadna, Hakaslam, Nomads, Aleph, Toha combined, O12. Um, we had, so just running through quickly for our listeners, so we had four Pano players, which was, so it's one Vanilla Pano, two Military Orders, and one Winter Force. We had four Yujing players, so one Vanilla, two Invincibles, and one White Banner. We had three Ariadna, so one Vanilla Ariadna, one US, and one TAC. Two Hack Islam, so no vanilla, but we had Assassins and QK. Then we had five Nomads, which were the, the largest contingent on the weekend. So we had three vanilla Nomad players, one Corregidor and one Tunguska. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, Aleph also had five. So we had um, one vanilla Aleph, two Steel Phalanx and two OSS. Uh, one Toha player, 
three, only three combined army players, so one combined, one Onyx and one Morats, uh, three O12, so two vanilla O12 and one Starmada, and then finally uh, we had three NA2 armies, two of them JSA and one being Ikari. Um, out of that list there, is there anything that kind of stands out to you guys? I mean, the the obviously you've got the prevalence of nomads, right? Nomads have always been a super, pop, super popular faction. They're pretty strong at the moment. They kind of do everything that anyone needs them to do. Um, the thing that I'm kind of surprised by is that of like with with so many different NA2 factions, the only ones we got were the Japanese ones. That's true, JSA I guess. Yeah. And Akari. Like, Akari, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of other people in our area that play any two. I guess um like I play Starco. This you, Kev. <laughs> it's me. I play Starco. Uh we do have a Spiral player. I think um Jacob sometimes plays Spiral. And then we've got I think Lachlan sometimes plays uh, what's that one called? The one with the bolts in it. Born Company. Born Company. But um, yeah, I mean that that was um, that was fine. I think there'd be only only three combined army players, and only one vanilla combined was not so much a surprise to us as a community, but maybe it may be a surprise to our listeners. Um, you know, because combined army has been long touted as being like the strongest vanilla faction, and only having one of them, and then having what people might see as the two weakest sectorals like Onyx and Morats. In the in there, um, not that I think they're weak, but again, just talking generally, um, that was maybe surprising. But um... yeah, I, I mean, also you could, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that this event was a reflection of what you might see in the global meta, right? We had fifty percent of the players were quote unquote new players, um, so we're not seeing a huge. Um, groundswell in people that are coming to this event with four different factions in their pocket and picking the best one on the day um it's more like this is the army that i have this is the army that i'm playing kind of thing yeah what i picked up because it looked cool yeah yeah, uh, i think that's a very good point and very good thing to remember you know like just going over what i remember of who who ran sort of what you know you've got yeah and half of them are half and half of them are new players so you've got you know there's at least half of every option there is going to be from a new player perspective. So it's not surprising that, um, and maybe that also might feed into the model range that might be available, perhaps, although maybe not. O12, I guess. Um, Nomads with Crimson Stone just being released, yeah. perhaps. Um, it was interesting to see two, two, I actually think it's quite interesting to see two Steel Phalanx and two OSS um, on the table. Because still you know, phalanx is pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah, like them being an o, o, an out of production army and OSS. Not saying that they're not strong and like like we said before in N three they were very strong and they're still strong now. But I haven't seen much OSS in N four being played. And I only pulled them out because I felt like I didn't know how to play because I, I took Nomads Canberra and wrote Nomads like I normally write lists with you know lots of tricksy stuff and infiltrators and not overly strong gun pieces and realized that because I didn't know the new rule set that well, um, I just folded when I came on to someone who actually know, knew how to play N4 properly. Right. So I was like, I'll just pick OSS, I'll, I'll write a, a limited insertion list, which now I know isn't even a thing anymore, 
and <laughs> I'll, I'll just pick that up and um and sort of walk across the table and shoot stuff a little more than I normally would. So yeah, and I think and I think uh, feeding into the mission mission lineup. So we had uh, highly classified data cache, which was a custom mission firefight, and then day two was supremacy and capture and protect. Um, OSS are very good at um, doing classified missions, so you can argue that they're very good at firefight and high classified, and they have um, you know they're they're just a very strong faction. I think I don't think there's too many too many too none of those five missions would be like. No, OSS can't really do that. Maybe Caption Protect mm. might be the one. Actually, Caption Protect is probably the one that I would think they might struggle with because they don't have yeah. too many push pieces. Like, well, they got the Kinis, which are great, but they don't have like the the speedy infiltrator bike or the you know this the the tanky um, AD or something like that that might go and grab it and run back with it. That might be the only thing probably I can think of. Would have done well with a Marus in that mission. Yes. Um, just like walk up the board, hose everything, grab it and walk back. But uh, I don't know. OSS feels like a bit of a, a a solid faction. You know, they've got they they're missing a lot of the they got nerfed a bit, and they're missing all the new tech that other factions have. But mm. they're not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything, anything else you want to talk about there? Um, the lineup, the 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 mission, and the army breakdown, Nick. Uh, no, the army's. Don't have anything else to say on the armies. I mean, missions. We kind of spoke about the missions in depth in the last episode, right before beforehand, and I took a lot of that knowledge on to then put my armies, the armies that I took on the day. Um, yeah. So do you, want, do, you, do you want to get into that then? Do you want to talk? Yeah. About, talk about. We'll talk about you. What you brought on the day and uh, your your lists. Well, I mean, I, we'll, we'll probably just touch on as well before we just get into that how the results actually turned out, right? So we've got Calamon because he came first uh, at the tournament. Um, I I came third. Uh, which uh, I was I was both pleased and disappointed with. The only reason I was disappointed was because I didn't get second, and the only reason I didn't get second was because <laughs> Callum got <laughs> his final round. Oh, you're you're so, giving out you're spoiling it. <laughs> I know. I just I just have to air this grievance because I it's 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 just so frustrating. That, I'm sorry um, I didn't beat Luke and give you second place. <laughs> or you could have at least had the dignity to lose. Um, that would have been that would have been fine as well. <laughs> Hard pass. Um, so it's funny when it comes. To, I'll go. I'll go through my lists now. Um, first off, then we can go through the um, go go through probably Calum's list and then talk about the the missions and how the games went. Yep. But um, I've been playing White Banner now for the better part of twelve months, I'd say, um, exclusively, and um, maybe even longer than that. Um, since probably since. I settled on them not long after N4, so maybe it's been almost 18 months that I've been playing um, White Banner. And I've kind of honed myself into um, one specific list that is kind of my go-to. And I have a, I've, I've gotten myself into a position where I have a real hard time writing a list that is not this list, right? Um, so I'll, I'll run through it. It's a, a Shang-Gi uh, with AP, HMG, and Tactical Awareness. He's in a link team with two uh, Zanshi hacking devices, a Zanshi paramedic, and um, a DIL, uh, the chain of command profile for a DIL. So that's my core link. Um, I've got a Guilang mine layer who can put down, with that mine layer, he can put down shock mines or he can put down a repeater. Um, 
a flash pulse bot, an engineer, a tiger soldier with um, combi rifle and light flamethrower, and then a newer, a recent addition because it's only recent, new to the game is the uh, is the beast hunter, the uh, the special beast hunter that Eugene get, which has got a um, explosive close combat weapon with plus one burst, mm. which uh, which is a crazy weapon to have um, with natural born warrior. And also CC attack plus two damage, so he's very powerful in close combat. Um, th- that's group one. So, uh, it, so is it a regular tiger soldier, or is he a specialist? Or? No, he's not a specialist. Right. Yep. So, just a, a, bare, a bare bones tiger soldier with combi rifle and light flamethrower. Um, group two, which is kind of like my ARO group, is a Hundun with a heavy rocket launcher. Uh, Guilang, a well, the, yeah, the, the Guilang with um, as my lieutenant. So it does cost one SWC to have my Guilang to have the Guilang as lieutenant. Spicy, um, but it means he's hidden in missions where I need to have him hidden. But I've got chain of command in this uh, list as well. So if I want, I can put him into suppressive fire, suppressive fire in the midfield. And if he dies, it's not ideal, but it's not the end of the world. Um, a long yar with mine layer as well, uh, a Shaolin monk, and a war call. Um, so that's my my go to list, and I was uh, honestly considering taking just that list. The event. So this but list this list was designed for to do all five missions, or was there it, a particular? It no, yep. it can it can. There's there's no mission that it cannot do. Um. It's yeah. got it's got all the bases covered for highly classified, and that's one that you kind of need stuff to be able to do things. Uh, it's got some faster things in there for um, uh, for capture and protect, like the remotes are pretty quick. But then in capture and protect, you get a free motorbike as well. Um, uh, and then also, I've got a lot of stuff that's deploying outside of my deployment zone, so that I've got a presence inside some of the quadrants in supremacy yeah. as well. Ready? Yeah, and the tiger um, soldier is a nice little surprise as well to you know walk on, uh, drop in, or, or or you know shoot the guy with the beacon. That's um, right. Or and, and where firefights on the table as well uh, to walk in in your enemy's deployment zone is always fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. That's, that's that's always handy. But um, so yeah, I was thinking about just taking that list. But then um, Thursday night rolled around, and I thought, no, that's silly. I'm going to write myself a completely new list, and uh, which uh, this is the the list that I actually had more success with. So you and, uh, and just as a precursor, you you hadn't run this list before until before Thursday never, before I'd the event. Never, I'd never run this. I wrote this list on Thursday. Um, the key piece in this list is the blue wolf as well, which I hadn't painted. So I then on Friday afternoon, after I helped you set up in the hall cab, I brought some paints with me, uh, sat down for, uh, about an hour and a half, sorry, two, two and a half hours maybe. And, uh, uh, threw some contrast paints on my blue wolf so that, uh, so that I wasn't running him with, with bare metal. At that point, I wasn't even sure if I was even going to play this list. I kind of written it as a bit of a joke just to have up my sleeve in case I wanted to, in case I tanked and wanted to just try something new. But I ended up running this list three, three out of the four games and I did not lose any of the games that I, three out of the five, sorry, three out of the five uh, games. So, um, I mean, a lot of the elements are very similar to the other, to the first list, except instead of having a, uh, a five-man core. It's got uh, the blue wolf, 
as the as the main attack piece. Uh, same Tiger Soldier. Actually, no, the Tiger Soldier in this one's got a boarding shotgun because I couldn't afford the extra one point to get him the guns that I wanted. Um, Guilang Mine Layer again. Guilang a Lieutenant again. Another Guilang, which is a hacker, so I've got some hacking presence. Uh, two Flash Pulse Bots, a Mech Engineer, Shaolin Monk, and the Beast Hunter as well. So that's all in Group 1. Uh, and then Group 2, which is a heavy ARO group in this list, which is the Hundun again. I've got two Long Yar this time, uh, a Shaolin Monk, and a Warcore. Right. So basically just uh, yeah, just dropped the Blue Wolf, added some Flash Pulse Bots, me- Mech Engineer, uh, and a sort of Long Yar. To replace the link with, that's right. Yeah, and extra extra Guilang, extra so Guilang as well. Yeah, yeah, extra Guilang and a, and the, and the Blue Wolf, um, and another and two Long Yar instead of one. So, so um, sorry. So, so a sectoral with no link teams. Nicholas. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was talking to a, uh, I played against um, one of the vanilla the guy who was playing vanilla um, Yujing. Yeah, look a bit, and uh, that's right. Yeah, and about this list, how. This list is is the only thing that is stopping this list from being a vanilla list is that it's got three Guilang in it when they're AVA two in vanilla. So you could easily change this list to be a vanilla list as well. Um, would you and that's lo- a lot of. The, would you lose anything the, else? No, you you didn't have you wouldn't have no. to change anything else. Okay, except take out one of the Guilang. Yeah. Um, which would be very probably which, find points for a um Liberto. It, well. it, that's right. You could you could probably easily do that. Um. So, and I mean, that's some of the feedback that I've heard people chatter about White Banner in general. It's like, why would you play White Banner when you can just do everything that it already does with vanilla? Um, Which is why I hadn't really looked at running a list like this, because the reason I was playing White Banner was so that I could take a link team. Yeah. Which 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 kind of narrows your focus a little bit. I mean, as as a person who has been running sectorals with no link teams for a little while now, um, you know, you can rock up to a tournament now and have two lists, one with a link team and then one without, that maybe is there to, to accomplish a specific role and or, you know, be able to, you know, run a tag and then all these support pieces without being potentially pigeonholed into a five man link. You know, losing one third of your army to a, a you know, blob of models that might just sit there and do nothing all game. Yeah. And what but looking at both of these lists as well. I think it does, even though I didn't necessarily do it intentionally, they can both achieve all of the missions. The only thing that the Blue Wolf list can't do is a couple of classified objectives. It can't do, it doesn't have a doctor or a paramedic. So there's a few classifieds that it'll fall short on. But apart from that, the main difference is the range bands of the main attack piece, right? Mm. And so when you're talking about range bands of the main attack piece, then you're talking about what does the table look like that I'm playing on? So, for a, for a denser table, that's where I'd look at the Blue Wolf list. For a more open table with longer fire lanes, that's where I'd look at the Shangji list. Yeah, right. So going back to what um, Callum said, you know about about, exactly. an, about analyzing that table and going, well, the, can the Blue Wolf get up and get into its good range band with its burst five BS? You know, fourteen. Bear, bear in five. mind, I was not taking that into consideration when I was writing the list, mm. it's only upon reflection that I've noticed that that's, that's where they fit because looking at like looking at them. And when I was, the, when I was deciding which list I was going to take on the day as well, it kind of did factor into what the table looked like um, instead of what the mission was, because they can both achieve pretty much every mission. 
Yeah, no, it's 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 cool. I I really um I really dig that list. I think I dig the blue wolf in general. I think it's an excellent tag, and then mm. um your ability to lay down like a shit ton of mine layers kind of insulates you a little bit from an alpha. Um, the fact that you've got what four five models in camouflage as well. So I've uh the, for the blue wolf list I've got two I've got three mine layers two long so two long yar and the a guilang all putting down something the guilang might be a could put a mine down or it could put down a um repeater um I I put the mine down in the final game but I use repeaters previously just so I have that presence out there um then on top of that there's one two three. Uh, three other camo markers on the table, and then I've also got the Hundun in hidden deployment. Mm. So not an awful lot of easy targets so to, to go for. Apart, apart from the blue wolf, and this is this is what um, one of the, one of the one of my opponents asked me, who was a, who was a newer player, looking at what I'd put down on the table before I put my reserve down. He's like, "All right, what am I looking at here? Like, what is of value?" And I said. Yeah. Literally no, nothing. Nothing. Yeah, right? yeah. Everything's everything's in camo, and the stuff that you can see is not worth shit. Yeah. Um, and then I put my then I put my reserve down, which was a a tag. Yeah. No, it's a it's a really yeah it's a really effective strategy with a, you know a lot of armies to just give them nothing, like no no real targets of of opportunity. Like sure, blue wolf's not the not the tankiest tag, but. You've got to have a dedicated piece if you want to take it out. And it's going to be very hard to get through that many mine layers, that many camo tokens. Um, and it's very... I find those lists as well. If your opponent doesn't know your army inside out, then they really struggle to engage with what's under each of the hats. Uh, and they and that often leads to them making a lot of mistakes because they'll go, okay, I should probably work out what this camo token is. Yeah. Or avoid a camo token when actually it's just something totally irrelevant sitting there or a mine um yeah and yeah or and like because you've got the beast hunter as well which deploys in plus eight a four deployment plus eight if you think that that's a guilang and you get it right up close to try and discover it Mm -hmm. um you're gonna cop a heavy flamethrower or you're gonna cop a plus one burst explosive close combat weapon yeah uh and the beast hunter is such a good profile. Like it's it's kind of it's kind of annoying how the CB are putting out these profiles like the Liberto and the Beast Hunter that are just so good for their points. And you know, if your opponent has left a gap, you just go Beast Hunter, go. Beast Hunter, like yeah. sacrifice yourself, heavy flamethrower, or just you know, burst two damage fifteen explosive on whatever it runs into CC with, it'll make his points back. It's it's ridiculously yeah. good for its points. I, I think the what I've found with list building is that the the balancing factor is the irregular, and that you can always find room for one of those things because they're such good value. There's mm-hmm. always a Liberto in my list, and then the second one you're like, well, it's got to be a Warcore, and then the third one you're like, well, now mm. how many irregular orders can I fit in? Because now if I've got three and one, I can't alpha, I can't send that off to do that thing anymore. Um, and so they they get sort of diminishing returns on them. I find. No, I, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because uh, what? Well, so that list has three irregulars in it. You could get the war core shell. Yeah, I've got and, the, and... I've got the, I've got the, um, I've got the beast hunter and the shell in in group one. That's mm. two irregular. So it's only eight regulars 
in group one. One of them starts off the table in the Tiger Soldier. So I'm starting the game with only seven regular orders Ooh, in group one. That does make and me then, nervous. Yeah. And then, and, then, yeah. and then group two has um, the another Shaolin and the Warcore, so two other irregulars, and also the Hundun starts off the table. So it's it's starting with two regular, two irregular. Yeah, right, okay. Type. When you put it into the context that way, I'd be like, oof. So it it is it is a risk, and if I'm going first, when I when I go when you go first with it, um, and you get stripped, those two orders get stripped out of your first group. You've only got seven five, seven order, regular orders goes down to five. Um, the tag's got its own irregular, its own uh, a tactical awareness order, um, which is which is nice, but still six orders is not many. Um, mm. So it does. If you're going first, it'll it'll creep out and do a few things. Um, but, and this is sort of generally in the way I play, I prefer to go second, so. Sure, sure. I guess we'll get into how your games went and how, if that factored into your, your, um, your game. Well, set. It's, yeah, it's, it certainly did. So we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. So, um, with that, um, Callum, do you want to talk about uh, what you brought to the weekend and your two lists? Yeah, of course. So the, I brought OSS and as I mentioned earlier, I didn't bring them because I thought they were going to be the strongest faction on the day, but mostly just that I wanted something simpler to learn to play through N4 a bit more. Um, because I've been I played a lot of Nomads and then a lot of OSS through N3, so I know both those factions very well, and I was struggling with Nomads a bit uh, in terms of trying with lacking the really big gunfighting stuff with vanilla Nomads um, in this new edition. So. Uh, and also dealing with all the war bands and all the trickery around dodging. So I decided to just bring OSS and keep it straightforwards. Um, for the first list, which was the one I played for four out of five games, and the one that I sort of wanted to play, um, was a really straightforward double fire team limited insertion, one command group list, um, that was an Asura lieutenant. With the plus, so it gets the plus one order, has the hacking device plus with the Trinity plus two damage, um, MSV three and the multi rifle. So that's really the the big attack piece. And it's silhouette two um, with three wounds and armor five. It just gets to where it needs to go. Six two move. Plus Pavadi, who's the the doctor engineer combo, and the Yadu and an NCO HMG in a Harris together. The idea is that that's really the whole list. Um, that as a Harris is small enough to get it up in people's face, it covers every range band with an HMG, a multi-rifle, a submachine gun. Um, it has uh, the the NCO lets you spend both of the Asura's lieutenant orders on the link itself. So if by some miracle you weren't stripped of orders going first, you've got a 12-order pool to get that one link up and in their face. And then... Pavadi being able to, um, it clears hackers itself very well, and then Pavadi can doctor up the Asura from its last wound back to full health with one order, which was huge in a couple of games. Oh, yeah, the uh, doctor two wins, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, the, and then the rest of the list is just to support that. So it's got uh, it's got a, a five-man Dakini link with a, um, a multi-sniper and an HMG. But the multi-sniper just being the only true sort of stand-up aro piece in the list and then uh, proxies the mark 5 which is the submachine gun for deployment flash pulse one which i think is incredible aro value 
the Mark II with the multi-sniper, which is the um, Mimetism Neg-6 infiltration camouflage, uh, and Dart, who is, prob I, I think, one of my favorite profiles in the game, um, and certainly won me some games by herself with her um, uh, with her EM grenades. Yeah, right. MSV. So what did so, you, um, what, my first question on that list is what made you choose the sniper proxy over something like the hacker, given that there's quite a few class of, you know, specialist required missions? Yeah, so the, the Harris should be able to do all of, so that, that Harris, I think, can accomplish every classified in the game bar, I think one needs you to be a board observer, specifically, you can't spotlight. Oh, um, uh, there's, um, there's telemetry. Maybe. There's telemetry. There's no, no, no. It just, I'm pretty sure it just says hacker. Okay, so then uh, I think the only one there's D charges. It doesn't have D charges with it. Oh, just providing of D charges. Okay, right. No, um, yeah. but it does everything else in the game. Right. And so that that in of itself, and I'm already rolling around the board with that little ball doing all the work. So mm. I'm, I press buttons with it at whip 15 across the board. And also because the the list is really vulnerable to going second because you don't have you don't have mine layers you don't have good midfield your your dart you don't want to die you can't sack her in exchange for a couple of orders mm. and you don't have things like um, war cores as that really efficient way to sap orders from the opposing player on their turn um, points to orders efficiency that is so you're kind of vulnerable so I needed the um, the multi sniper like piece to just delay for the times I was going second. Yeah, um, and the beautiful thing about that is if you lose that, you don't actually lose any orders. Yeah, so that needed, um, that was a lot of very careful positioning because it needed to, there's so many gun pieces in the game that can just kill that now very easily that needed to like not not just be out in the open mm -hmm. um, fully. Uh, but yeah, look, I, I don't think this list is is the be-all and end-all. It's missing a third proxy, which is a big problem. Um, I made it 10 orders because I thought limited insertion was still a thing, um, which clearly it's not. So. <laughs> so you can you can join the camp. You. you can join the camp of people who who want to bring limited insertion back if you want. Uh... Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I think this list would be much nastier if limited insertion existed, because then I would have 12 orders to murder yeah, you every first turn. Which absolutely. Would be um, so net rods would be good in this anyway. So that that was that list. Uh, it covers all the range bands, but it would struggle to reach out and touch long range for those multi sniper um, five man links. Mm. Uh, was really my biggest concern with it. So then the other list that I brought was designed for the the sparser tables um, that that could have a sniper in the back line that had MSV two and a five man and just you know. You need something to be able to actually gunfight that. So this was the more traditional, like Dakini link with um, an Asparus, Asparus, the Cyber Dancer. I'm sorry, um, yeah, the one, yeah, the um, Rem Driver to get the Dakinis up to BS13 to then buff them with a Evo hacking device to marksmanship, and then also have um, so they ignore cover and have the five man link bonus with the engineer nearby, so that that can then reach out in good range bands to BS-19 most of the time with mimetism on them, which is just, you know, brutal. Absolutely. With the idea, yeah, and we, which is what came up in the last game was I was on a table that was pretty sparse, and so I was like, as much as I want to take the other list for the fifth game, um, I need 
the ability to reach out and, and gunfight something across the board. Uh, and, and the rest of the stuff in it's pretty similar because I think Dart is just exceptional. I think obviously proxies are exceptional um, and just some filler with like an, another Naga and some odds and ends. What was the, what was the Naga you took? Uh, the killer hacking device. Killer hacker. Did it's, you still have the proxy sniper in there as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so right. Prox, the proxy sniper, because in that one, I've got a Denarvis um, as well, uh, and I've got the Evo hacking device. So I kind of need to protect my hackers with a camo killer hacker so that they can't just walk up and, and destroy my um, like two orders off the board very easily. And the Danavis is a what hacking device plus or yeah hacking device plus oblivion plus one burst pitcher with fifteen. Oh yeah, that's a good. Yeah, it's a good profile. Mm, I don't often Jeez, see that one. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that so that was the your two lists and how you sort of split them was was like like it's like you said on, yeah. on the table. Almost all on the table. I couldn't have taken the first the second list with the um the bikini link on highly classified because I can't do enough of them. But apart from that, it would have, it's still got enough specialists. It's still got enough infiltrators. Um, it's probably a bit better at going second if I wanted to choose. But really, I wanted to play the Asura Link because it was a lot of fun, mm. uh, and I had the whole, I had the um, the Asura painted up really nicely. So I really wanted to play her. And I was also really worried. I, not worried, but I I was expecting a lot more camo midfield stuff to come out over the over the day because that feels really strong in other games I'd seen of like lots of infiltrators, lots of camo tokens, null deployment because you can't, there's no good ARO pieces apart from those links that face down other links. So if you don't have that, you have, sort of have to null deploy, which means lots of camo. So I'd, um, the idea of bringing the MSV3 to just be able to spot and get that camo off the table Sounded good in theory, right? So that's interesting as well. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to go through, yeah, your five games now, and and you know find out what you actually faced, and um, yeah, like you know, and talk about whether or not the lists you faced were surprising or or different or what you expected. So, um, I guess you guys will take it in turns. We can go through one round each, um, so that we're not just rattling off all five rounds at once. So, uh, Nick, you I guess you talked about your list first. Do you want to talk about your uh, first round? Yeah, sure. So, um, my first round, highly classified, um, I played Michael, who's a newer player. Um, he was playing Vanilla Pano. Uh, I took my Blue Wolf list uh, because, like I said, I've just written the list. I just painted, them, painted the Blue Wolf, wanted to get it on the table, see mm. how it goes. Um, and when we got the flop on the uh, on the cards, there was nothing in there that I wasn't able to do. So there was no doctor or paramedics required. So I'm like, okay, great. I'll just um, go with go with this and see how it goes. Um, the I can't remember exactly what the classifieds were, but there was a lot of the ones that where you need a um, a elite veteran or chain of command model to do it. I think we got both of those. There's two of them with that. We got we got two. That require that, like to have one of them grab your uh, touch an enemy model at the end of the game, yep. and also have one of them grab the be in Civivac with the enemy HVT. Sure. Um, we also had uh, rescue where you have to uh, cast Civivac one of your own guys and then uh, spotlight the HVT. 
those were the four that we had. Um, and then I can't remember what my personal one was, but I achieved it at some point. Um, I what I was it first or second in that game? I went first. Yeah. What was the Sorry, table? Go. What was the table you played on? Um, it was there was nothing special about it. It was the one that was next to Julian's table. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Just just a st- oh. fairly fairly standard yeah. infinity table, to be honest. Yeah. Um, uh, had a few long-ish fire lanes, um, a little bit of verticality, but not crazy. So nothing really had more than it was like maybe a little bit that was it was like ground level roofs of one-story buildings, and then maybe something that was a little bit higher than that. But that's it. Sure. Um, nothing that I wasn't able to hide behind with the um, with the blue wolf as well, which is another advantage of that tag compared to other larger tags. Some of the time they can have trouble hiding um on uh, on on certain tables but blue wolf doesn't have that issue because he's only size six he's a he's a little boy um the so yeah i was playing um playing michael and michael and uh the guy i played my second game luke and then their other mate josh they have like this little um their own little mini meta because they've all sort of started playing together and they all three of them absolutely love uh spotlight targeted and uh guided missiles right Mm. they love it um and so i never really come up against guided before um which is crazy because we've been talking about it for like a year (laughs) so much and before playing against these guys there's no one's really pushed it hard right to dedicate towards this is how i'm going to play the game i want to be able to to do this um so I did kind of misinterpret how the how the rule actually worked, which was which was unfortunate. It Apo- apology incoming. So I do apologize um, to both of those guys because it happened in two games. It wasn't until the end of the second game when I was talking to actually Callum walked past the table and I was talking to him about it. He was like, "No, mate, that's not how that. That's not how that I, don't, I don't think that's how that rule works." Like, oh. Okay, so I'd gotten I'd gotten it mixed up with um with speculative fire, right? Where spec fires at a neg six. Uh, with other mods on it guided is just plus six with no other mods but i thought it was plus six with the speculative mod still in place so the i thought the plus six from guided negated the neg six from spec fire right um, which is not how it works so you, at all you, so you think that the missile bots are shit hitting on 12 when they're actually hitting on 18 that's right when they're right. actually right yeah right yeah um so, but I mean, I was I was also dodging very well. Third place uh, revoked. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was so he he'd he'd put uh, deployed with the this sort of fairly dense repeater network, but the remotes that he had the repeaters on were not prone; they were standing up. So peace peacemakers, right? Peace peacemakers, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, uh, with four deployment. Um, and their little flammer bots. Yeah. So I spent my first turn basically just killing his things that were repeaters um, and then marched up and uh, I think I spot, I achieved a couple, I, I walked up with my hacker and spot lit the, um, the, uh, the HVT to get that first classified straight up. Um, and it kind of just, just went from there. He did get a couple of spotlights off, but wasn't able to really successfully kill anything with his guided. Um, not necessarily, not because like the, the roles that 
we he did do with guided, I had actually beat him in a face to face with my dodging. So it wasn't because of the neg six or anything like that. Maybe the next game, the next game might have been different um, if I had known the plus six was there um, properly. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm, I came away with uh, I think it was eight one because um, I'd achieved three classifieds and my own. And uh, my opponent had only achieved one classified. So, do you remember what um, Michael had other than the peacemakers? Anything else, sort of? That you... uh, it was peacemaker and Joan, and oh, yeah. um, a few things that were irregular, but they were not irregular because Joan was on the table. Um, flash pulse bots. Uh, it was a motorbike there as well, um, which was a um, Montesa. About, about no, about oh, about, oh yeah, because irregular. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and uh, there was also, uh, what's the heavy infantry that has hidden deployment? Um, the Swiss, Swiss Guard? Guard? Yeah, he had a Swiss Guard as well. Yeah, right. Okay. With the Which, missile uh, launcher? Uh, no, HMG. Okay. Yeah, nice. Uh, so he, at one point, he, he marched his Swiss Guard halfway up the table trying to gun th- some things down. But I'd whenever I'd advanced, I'd always retreated as well back into... Um, uh, fairly safe positions with my blue wolf and with my other pieces as well. Um, also, I'd with all the mine layers that I have in this list, I had castled up my HVT fairly heavily. It was covered by both long yar, the mines from the long yar, and the turret uh, as well. The turret as well. Yeah. The oh turret. yeah. My yeah. turret was looking directly at the um, at the uh, at my HVTs and yeah. with with no other with no lines coming onto him from from downtown either. So. Oh yeah, quick, quick, quick shout out to Andrew Noakes actually for printing out 40 of those uh, turrets. He had an SD, uh, he's got a 3D printer and he not only printed 40 out, he also painted them all for all of the players on the weekend, which was just an incredible effort. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like when we were packing up you know, the guys, some of the people were like, oh, so where, where do we put these turrets? And like, no, brother, they're yours. Like you take them home with you. And they're like, oh, wow, it's so amazing. Like they're like delighted. <laughs> so it's, it was great. So um, yeah, big shout out to Andrew. Um, for for doing that for for the community, but yeah, that that had a um thing about how how it classified. When you get a lot of those HVT classifieds, you just kind of bunker around the HVT with like a whole bunch of like mines and aero pieces, and be like, you cannot do your you know HVT classifieds until you kill everything around here. I mean, another alternative strategy on there is you can also um, civivac your own HVT, so you can go and. Pass a whip check, grab it, and then move it from where oh. you start where where you start where it started the game. Run it, if you run want, a, if you run want to back, yeah, yeah, to make it even harder for your opponent to Absolutely, get to, yeah. to get to them. Good point. Yeah, it's not, not something I think about. Uh, I didn't often. do that, but mm. um, that's something that you that you definitely can do. Um, and it, there was the, actually mentioning that the turrets. Um, Michael had deployed his turret on a roof, and he had a hacker next to it, prone. So. One of my first orders um, was to shoot the turret with my hundun, um, with the heavy rocket launcher, uh, the splash which splashed onto the uh, onto the hacker. He passed his armor save though, so uh, but it, it taught him a lesson. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, actually, on that on that turret, uh, I was you know doing the rounds on on round one and uh, going around some of the newer you know some of the newer players' tables, and there was Frank from New South Wales. I think it was facing off against Scott, who's a very very new player. And he had a uh, his turret up on a like you know high vantage point you know in his DZ so bad range bands and um, Frank moved out with his night link to go and just you know gun down this uh, turret and I think 
uh, Scott must have needed what minus three for range and cover BS tens or fours, and he crit him twice. <laughs> he, crit, oh. <laughs> he crit Frank twice and dropped one of his knights in one order. And I'm like, that's what the turret does when you don't respect it. <laughs> it just it just fucking wipes things off the table. It's uh yeah. So like it was that was not, not well, a good start. Uh, yeah, the other the other MVP from that game would, was actually my my warcore. We're a similar situation where the warcore was holding down this super long fire lane just with his flash pulse, and uh, Michael was trying to climb on top of a building because his his pocket objective was to heal one of his own guys. So he was trying to get on top of a building where the unco- unconscious people were climbing up, and so I just a flash pulse down and blinded him and then joan climbs up climbs up the same building as well flash pulse straight down to her joan's blinded oh, no. um that that turn i think that flash pulse uh blinded three different models um just because he was move, moving in front of it or just not contesting the shot mm. um with with a full order action climb so those, those flash pulses man they can just end your game especially now in n4 with the extra b the extra bts rule that's right. Yeah, two saves. Yeah, and um, it's two saves. It's, all you got to do oh, is yeah. just roll you, low. <laughs> yeah, count, I already. Two saves. I, 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 so, yeah, I've been of the opinion all through N three that the Warcore was the best model on the in the entire game. Like, sorry, the best profile in the entire game. Point, point for point. Yeah. Point, point for point. As in, because it's three points to sack at minimum one order from your opponent. Which, if you could do that ten times, the, the, like there would be no games. So yeah. You obviously, do it as many times as you can, and that's that's the minimum right and then sometimes it blinds their tag or their <laughs> attack piece and you go whoops that, yep okay that uh, happens so for them to be having to roll it's double action oh my goodness okay. yeah <laughs> yeah flash balls in four can really be like you've got to respect it you can't just move move past a war core these days unless you've got total immunity um all right uh anything else you want to talk about your first game nick all right callum uh how, how did your first game go i mean Clearly, well is going to be the theme, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I played against Julian for the first game, um, who I assume your listeners are reasonably familiar with. <laughs> he, he's not. He's not on the <laughs> podcast tonight. He's uh, he's sulking. No, he's not sulking. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> he and he was bringing uh, USA, which uh, he's on record he for saying are poo. So you know that just kind of yeah. softens the blow for him at this stage yeah and look i don't think he's wrong um particularly for highly classified oh, the, yeah. the the layout of cards wasn't terrible for him there was only one that he couldn't do it was the repair one uh, and there was one in there that was the predator which was going to be the one that he jet probably could and i couldn't but you know it, it's highly classified is tough for him he doesn't have good specialists um I mostly just castled up with snipers and was hoping that he wasn't going to manage to Van Zant me, which was really how I thought I was going to lose the game if I did lose it. Uh, he, you know, We sort of skirmished in the midfield. I got a few more objectives despite failing whip 15 rolls. Ended up with my Asura Harris in his, in his half of the board on top of the building. And he... Uh, he threw a couple of bikes, dismounted bikes at me in close combat, you know, sort of threw smoke and uh, and walked into combat with the Yadu uh, with the idea of rolling through the, the the fire team. And really probably what should have happened was that the Yadu should have died and the other two should have lived. What actually happened was that this um, 
uh, biker walked up the stairs, walked through smoke, walked into the Yadu, and got shot in the face in melee by the Yadu's pistol. Oh, uh, no. Because I, I was rolling on 15s, and he was rolling on 21s, I think, and I just kept rolling 14s. He was like, okay, yeah, shit happens. So he got another bike over there, and that biker walked up the stairs, walked through the smoke, and literally the exact same thing happened. I rolled 14 again, and his guy died. Cool, because uh, yeah, I was already ahead on objectives at that point, but my guys were in a bad position. So then he wasn't able to dig me out of that position, which meant that then I had blokes in his half the table, got a lot of objectives. I had meleeed enough stuff for Predator, weirdly, and <laughs> um, which I was not expecting at all. Uh, and yeah, the the and the, the biggest thing was that the his Lone Ranger just just died to a single round of shooting at some point. Oh, really? The Unknown Ranger? So he had a yeah. core link of that with Marauders, is that correct? Yeah, and he split off the, the the Unknown Ranger to get something done in the midfield and then left it just, you know, just vulnerable. And I just killed it in one round of shooting with my Harris. And that was that with was really his only piece. Sura? Or the, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, That was the only piece that could really threaten me. Uh, and I... I learned things, this is, uh, again, going to be a running theme given I haven't played that much N4, the trick you do with smoke and MSV1 and Sixth Sense I had not come across before. So, oh, right. Do you want to explain that to our yeah, listeners? Yeah. So for those who don't know, because I didn't, um, MSV1, you throw smoke, and then you have a core link with MSV1 if, say, you don't have access to MSV2, and you shoot at someone through the smoke, and you're, you would, you'll be at neg three because you don't have M- MSV2. Mm-hmm. Um, Except if they uh, if they shoot you back, which is you know your sort of gut reaction a lot of the time, it means that then you get to proc your sixth sense, which ignores the smoke altogether. So it's as if you're firing through smoke with MSV two, as long as they're shooting back at you, uh, and then they're at the neg six and all the normal things. So it kind of lets you it kind of lets you pull off smoke tricks, even though you only have MSV one. Yeah. So that was. That was interesting to learn. Uh, didn't didn't sort of work. Um, he he lost a sniper, uh, his sniper in the Marauder team in his turn, which is always brutal. But uh, but that's that was a useful trick to know. And the FEQ has changed that now as well. So it used to be a neg six to shoot through, even if you had MSV one. But now they've changed mm-hmm. it that uh, smoke now counts as a low vis or poor visibility zone, low visible low visibility zone. Which now is mm-hmm. it takes a neg six down to a neg three, which when you're in a five man link in your BS six, you know BS fifteen for example, it takes it down to a twelve, which is still very doable. Um, because he did it to me, or yeah, he did it to me in a game where I had Carmen, and like that didn't really do it to me, but I could have thrown smoke and moved through it. But when he's shooting me out of cover on you know on three two dice on twelves, and I'm dodging on one dice on a thirteen, it's like. I'm not even going to bother moving out. Um, so that's yeah, it's uh, it's it's you know, it basically makes MSV one pretty much as good as MSV two in a core link. Yeah, which which is good for good for armies like USA that don't have <laughs> MSV two access to things like MSV two. Yeah. So um, so how did they? Um, what was the final score on the game? nine uh, one. I think I think mm-hmm. I got it. Highly classified seems like the sort of mission that's very swingy, because you because you get four points for doing more classifieds. That's you're always getting an extra point for more for 
you must be up by one class fight, so you must have one point, and then you get an extra four for being up. So you basically guaranteed major people. Um, and the so yeah, I had I had more classifieds. I did my own. You know, I got a bit lucky. I got to do my. Uh, I got to like data scan a corpse and then or whatever it's called, and then coup de gras the same corpse into right. orders. Yeah, okay. For my secret one, which was pretty good. Uh, but also when you have the Asura Harris, it, because it can do basically everything in the game, it's, it's easy to just walk up and start ticking off objectives with it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, Nick, yeah, your your game two. Was... Yeah, game two was against uh, Luke, who's um, one of the mates of the guy that I played in the first round, um, and he's playing Vanilla Yujing, um, uh, a Guija list. So it had a Guija and um, a couple of hackers and uh, also a missile bot because these boys love missile bots. Um, and uh, round two was um, data cache, the um, special, the your custom mission. Um, thing about data cache is that there is no retreat in data cache. And uh, whenever I see a mission with no retreat, that means that I do one thing, which is kill. Yeah, and I forgot to put that on the mission lineup. Apologies. It was something we talked about in the last episode that I was going to edit it, and I didn't. Um, um, yeah. yeah, so I uh, I went first. Did I go first? Yes, I did go first. Um, he deployed his Guija against a crate, which was very, very open in that um, it was not difficult for me to get into a position where I could... Uh, actually shoot it out of cover uh, once my Ling team made it to the middle of the table. Oh, really? Oh. Uh, which, so it was, it was it was very poorly deployed. And I like I told him after the game, like, you you want to put that, that thing is worth so much, you want to put it in a place where there's no chance for me to get to it with anything that's remotely effective um, with when I've still got any orders left, like behind yeah. some of these taller buildings in one of these corners where, where things can't get to it. So it you was, took the uh, Shang-Chi list for this one, right? I took the Shang-Chi list, yeah. This time why why did you why did you do that? Um, I took the Shang-Chi list because uh, for data cache where you want to grab the data banker and hold him, the um, that link team with so many different guns pointing in so many different directions is easier to castle. So okay. um, the way that I played data cache um, ha- have played it and successfully previously is where you grab the guy and then if you're going first and your opponent's got um, turns against you, you want to castle up as much as possible. And so that's um, where what, I, what I've uh, done with that link um, to do that. Turns out I didn't have to castle at all because I didn't quite table him, but I, I, I wiped out most of anything that could come at me with any type of threat. Um, I think it was probably four orders into the game, and the Guisha was dead. Wow! Um, which was which was unfortunate for uh, for Luke. Um, but uh, yeah, and like once once the Guisha went down, he then I then had some extra points left, so I my Beast Hunter advanced up one flank, and he did he reveal and try and discover it? I think. He had, so he had um, he had a camo marker standing up in a tower. The tower wasn't particularly high, so I walked my um, camo marker right up near it, and he elected to discover. And so 
uh, he revealed that he was Major Luna. Oh, no. Um, to discover my camo marker. Uh, so I just hit him with a heavy flamethrower. Oh, no. Um, which he, he, saved, he, passed his, he passed his save and went prone. But then in his active turn, stood back up and shot something. So I, I was still standing there. So I just hit him with a heavy flamethrower again. Right. Um, and then from, from there, my, um, uh, my beast hunter then proceeded to sort of walk through his whole back line and um, heavy flamethrower things and, and close combat things as much as it liked. Um, so it was, um, it was a fairly one-sided game. So you had the, but you had the another guided missile uh, issue, though, right? Did he? Well, yeah. So because again, he was big on on the guided missiles. He he didn't. It didn't take place until probably his second turn, where he walked up a um, a Gui Lang uh, with the deployable repeaters in camo, walked it right up next to my link team and placed the repeater there. Mm. It's like, okay, cool, and then. Spotlit me. It took him a few orders to then spotlight me. Because you're um, firewall next six as well. I'm firewall exactly. I'm firewall next six. Yeah. Uh, and I'm resetting. And uh, with with decent. Um, although the BTS doesn't matter because um, you don't get a BTS save. You're just no, targeted. Yeah. He's just he's uh, just he's just minus six to to, to in the face of face. But his role is is next six. That's mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Um. So it did. It took him extra orders to. To, to do that and then when he finally got me targeted he dropped a few missiles on me but um and a couple of them did hit uh but i'd still just pass my armor saves um mm. <laughs> what just 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 shrug off well, damage 14 explosive yeah well i no mean worries. he hit me once there's three armor saves with uh, i've got armor four so um, oh on the shang chi right okay. the sh- yeah, he's totally I, fi- the I figured this i figured the zan chi would be the primary like so the, yeah the the the, the was the was the further with the spearhead, I suppose, of my depl- my um my deployment in the midfield, and um he only, he only got far enough up to put to place the repeater, so it didn't have the other ones uh in its right okay uh, yeah yeah in, yeah in its in its in its radius yeah uh, I, I think that's a a very audio intensive way because I, I I made a guided list with nomads and they can do it. You, I think you need to be doing the spotlighting in your aero. Aero, yeah. Yeah. You know, have the repeaters already there with like Moran's or, or Quilla with Vine Layer or whatever. Spotlight. And then in your turn, you can just drop a few missiles with extra orders rather rather than it being your active turn plan to set up. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, and even though I didn't know the, how the rule actually worked, now that I do know how it works, I, my opinion on it hasn't really changed. In that, if if you're spending all these orders to maybe kill a couple of things, you if if I've deployed really poorly and you're hitting more than one thing with missiles, that might be a different story. Um, but I, I mean, my link teams were quite spread out, so that was never going to be the case. Yeah, and the fact that you're, yeah, you're Pharaoh on XX, you're Fizz 14, Fizz 13, something like that, on the 14, team. I think. Yeah, yeah four. and you're in a core length, so you're not taking any negatives to the dodge. So it's, uh, even even if he was, even, That's even the if you thing, were yeah, six playing it properly. I was, I was dodging on, um, on flats. Yeah, so. Yeah, and even if they were hitting you on 18s like they should have been, 18s versus 14s, one dice each is not that reliable. No, that's it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's about it for for, for round for round two. Uh, the end. I, it was a ten zero win to me. Um, I pushed the button. I grabbed the 
subdued and held in where he needed to go. Cool, cool. Um, Callum, round two. What happened there? Round two. I had uh, Frank, the one of the guys down from New South Wales, um, who brought a beautifully painted uh, military orders list. Like it was, it was this gorgeous bright red that was really nicely edge highlighted, so it really popped across the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also had his mates 3D printed. Uh, is it the tick blank that they That's get? That's right. Yep. That so that was a unique bottle that I had not seen before, um, which was really cool as well. So, and that was on the the table that was the the port docks table that we mentioned earlier, uh, which sort of the way that that ends up for those who haven't seen it is you get like three quite distinct fire lanes across it or movement lanes, but there's enough cover that it's not oppressive. So, so I I get to go set. I win the lieutenant role, get to go second. Um, uh, he has a a core, like a cheap core. The Tick Belang and a Harris in the second pool of the whatever the cheap knights are. The, the Teutons. Ch- yeah, I think so. The ones that just sort of get up in your face and are very cost efficient. That's them, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, oh, sorry. No, I have to go. I have to go first. And so I, I walk. It's and it's the first two turns were just ridiculous. I walked across the table, found the angle where I was like, haha, here's what I think we can do. Shoot his um. Uh, start shooting at his guys immediately at, at good dice, right? It's an Asura in positive range bands. So it's like I'm rolling four dice on BS 14. Um, he's rolling like two dice on, you know, it's a link. So good, good as well, but essentially four V two dice on similar uh, immediately fluff everything. He hits me twice with his pistol. I fail both armor saves and immediately go to no wounding cap with my Asura. Ugh. Like, the first dice roll of the game. Whoa. Like, that's okay. You know, that's, I've got Pavadi for exactly this. So Pavadi walks up, doctors my Asura back to full health. Uh, the Asura, I go, okay, let's do it again, right? Check the numbers. Yes, I'm not being an idiot. Okay, we'll do it again. Same thing happens, except this time I pass one armor save. So I fluff everything. He hits me twice and I take one wound. Shit. Because I've spent all these, you know, a number of orders getting up across the table. I've spent orders doctoring my guys, and I've got a couple left. I'm like, ah, this is not an important enough thing to kill. I need to reposition my link. So I pull back a bit, um, hit the button, get my link in a safe spot because obviously it's like half my my list, so it needs to survive. Um, I got a couple of orders left. I'm like, that's fine. I'll just pick off some of his orders that are a bit out in the open. You know, basic infantry. They're in cover. They're in a link, but they're at their bad range bands. I'll HMG them with my Yadu. Got three orders left. Uh, fail that entirely for three orders and take a wound on the Yadu. <laughs> and five dice in good range bands against combis. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, you know, that's that happens. I've hit a button. That's my first. He opens up, blows my Dakini the table. I'm going, oh god, this is how this, you know, you know those games, right? Where yeah. your dice just don't work and he spends one order and his dice do work. Um, and I'm like, all right, well, that's that's just what this is going to be. But then after that, he just could not move by um, the proxy with the multi-sniper in the corner in a really nice little sniper's nest. Um, he threw 
everything at it. And some of the dice he was rolling at bad range bands, and then he'd walk into the good ones, but he just could not crack that proxy. It passed like he had just passed a ton of armor saves. I passed all the armor saves on this proxy. It just would not die. So his, his turn as well, he lost a wound here or there, and, and nothing really happens. We basically just spent the first turn passing armor saves at each other. Uh, and then the second turn came up more of the same, and then halfway through it, he fails like one armor save on tag or on something, and then the floodgates open. And just because we both have very shooty lists, right? So we can't do anything apart from roll dice at each other. I can't like put down smoke and grab the grab the objective. I have to kill him, and he has to kill me. Otherwise, nothing happens. So yeah, he just started failing his armor saves first, and then once the floodgates opened there. It, Neither of us passed another armor save again, more or less. But but it, I started it, so mm. yeah, it was um, you know I caught his tag out of cover, uh, I caught his knights out of cover, and um, yeah, just just uh, slowly annihilated him. That ended up as like ten zero, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I, I, uh, uh, tricky game to start with, though. And did the proxy survive till the end of the uh, the game? No, it 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 did eventually go down, mm. but it had sapped like ten orders out of him. Shot, taken some wounds off some knights. Uh, shot a with the whatever the knight is that comes off the board edge. Um, Santiago. Shot, yeah, the the Santiago came in. He misjudged the range band slightly, so it wasn't in my neg three. And so then I had cover. Mimetism neg six mm. and only zeros for my range band, um, and so the Santiago came off the edge, walked around the corner, and just got you know copped a, a sniper rifle round to the head. Mm. Uh, yeah, proxy did eventually go down, but he was he was definitely the MVP of that game. Yeah, right. Nice, nice. Uh, anything else from the game takeaway? Um, oh, just that just that Frank's army looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh huh. Yeah, I managed to get one of those those sculpts of the the Tikbalang at the end of all of this, which I was very pleased with. Oh, good. Yes, excellent. Yeah, he did. Uh, James, who James Carlton, who came along that weekend as well, he he three D designed that Tikbalang, so he gave us one for the prize pool. Mm. So that's something right. I picked it up. Yeah. Um, uh, Nick, uh, round three. So round three yeah. was uh, firefight. Round three was firefight. Um, I played against Hector. And Ooh, um, here we go. This is this is, <laughs> this is us getting in the big boy, the big boy pool now. Yeah, that's right. Um, so like, I do my first games one and two were definitely um on the easier side in terms of the experience of my opponents coming into when I got mashed up with Hector. I'm like, okay, now it's now it's game time, um, because Hector is uh, definitely a shark. And knows what he's doing, and um, had been in there in our Melbourne group chat. He'd been tipped to win the event. So um, uh, I'll just read out the note that I've written down here in our show notes for <laughs> for, um, for for describing this game. Uh, I've written down a uh, blue wolf eats Scarface, then proceeds <laughs> to eat everything else, um, because that's exactly what happens. So we. Played um, playing firefight. He was playing Ikari. He had Scarface um, as like his main piece, and um, not really. He had a, a linked team of variety of Japanese things with a missile launcher and a sniper rifle in it. Um, I uh, won 
the did he win the role or did I win the role? I can't remember, but I went first. Okay, so th- this is and wait, wait, wait. This is three games so far. You've gone first in when you just told us before. Oh, I, I like to go second. I do like to, <laughs> I do like to go second. Um, in a list where you have like five regular orders. Yeah. So I went first. Just, you know, Hector deployed Scarface at the front of his deployment zone, but behind this pile of rocks that I couldn't see from my deployment zone. What was the really uh, from... table you played on that one? Uh, your table, actually. Your uh, compound table. Oh, the compound, right. Yep. Yeah. Um, so there's a pile of rocks on the side um, of one table. Bear in mind, it's a 16-inch deployment zone, so he's quite a fair way up. But he is hidden behind these rocks from a, from, from a fairly decent angle. Um he elected to spend a command token to put Scarface into suppressive fire. Um, so I um, like okay, that's what you want to do. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with him. Um, which meant that I didn't have five orders. I did have my my full seven. Ah, was this the? I'm assuming this is the eight. I took AP, the blue AP, AP, yeah. HMG, um, Scarface version. He took Mark twelve. Mark twelve. Scarface. Oh, okay, right. So that was it. Mark twelve heavy rocket launcher. Heavy rocket launcher. Yeah. Right. Okay. I wouldn't. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say that's my favorite Scarface profile, but it's the guess of the most utilit- utilitarian profile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he had he had Scarface up the front, and then on uh, bunkered up on top of some sh- uh, shipping containers behind him and more to the center was his five-man link. So I spend a couple of orders with the Blue Wolf to edge out and see his first aero piece in the link, which was the missile launcher, um, and blow it away. Um, I spend another order. <laughs> just, just blow to, it away, a BS-16 tanko. Like, it's it's a fucking good piece, right? That's exactly, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, because by that point, I was... No, you're right though, because you're you're in table already. You're right. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm deploying at 16 inches. I'm already you're inside 24 of the table, so I'm already in my good range bands as well. Yeah. So I'm plus three, neg three, hitting them on 14s with five dice because it's a, a burst five AP Spitfire that yeah. I've got. Yeah, and he's um, he, he's in a zero range band and minus three for cover. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then I do the same thing with Edgy out again and hit his sniper rifle and and take it out as well. Uh. From then, I revealed my Undun, which could see Scarface, but from downtown, uh, forcing uh, force, forcing him to decide if he wanted to stay in suppressive and cop my hit or to react to it. So he decided to shoot back, um, and it was a nothing. I think we both missed our shots. Um but that was fine because I didn't want to try and kill him with the Hundun. I wanted to try and kill him with the Blue Wolf, who was on that side of the table as well. So now there's out of suppressive fire. I spent a couple extra orders to then move up closer. And from like four inches away, I probably spent three orders pouring AP damage 15 Spitfire shots into him until he went to unconscious. Um, spent another order to walk up and coup de gras, which was one of my classified objectives because firefights got three classifieds. Um, then I was out of regular orders, so I had to use two command tokens to burn to uh, to flip my irregular orders in that pool to then move to six four six four, which is twenty inch movement straight back to where I started <laughs> in in my deployment zone. Um, and um, yeah, once that was down, he tried. He dropped a few. Um, Yan Yans? 
Yarn yarns um, on top of my uh, on top of my hundun to eliminate that. Um, but hunduns are they're only one wound, but they've got three armor. Um, decent, the fizz eleven, so not great, but they're tough. They're tough to kill, and so he landed on top of them, and uh, it survived. Uh, decently for a good few orders, which I was totally okay with. Well, in, in firefight, they're at, well, they're they're, they're fifth fourteen, but they in firefight they go down on a, on, a, on a fourteen. Oh, sorry, I meant the the um the sorry the hundun when I was like, oh the hundun sorry or, yeah the hundun yeah, yeah so the hundun um managed to survive. He did go down eventually, but he survived long enough to to he had to put two um yan yan on it so that he could get extra burst in close combat just because he wanted to be sure that he was gonna Mm. do what he wanted to do so um and then didn't do much else in that um in that turn uh uh, in his first turn because i was so castle i was bunkered down and everything was prone and difficult to get to and he just didn't seem to have um the orders or, or the things far enough up to, to get to where my pieces were. Um, yeah. So then from my second turn, the it was the um, time for the Blue Wolf to activate again. And this time he had an extra – sorry, he didn't have an extra two orders because he had um, didn't get stripped initially. But, um, yeah, he just basically ran up the field to take out the rest of the things from – that were still up from the link team. That's right. Hector spent a few orders to heal a couple of the pieces in the link team. Um, but then in my turn two, I just killed him again um, and then ran up and killed the rest of the link team as well. And um, so the end result was a, ve- a first for Hector. He <laughs> finished on, on zero uh, tournament points, zero objective points, and zero victory points because I, I completely tabled him. Um, and my third turn, there was maybe two things left on the table, um, uh, a, a, a remote and a, um, ninja, which I killed both of them and then spent the rest of my orders doing the last of my classified objectives and getting something out of the panoply. So I get a point for that. So it was a 10 point, 10 points for me. Wow. Well done. Um, Thinking about what you mentioned about Scarface and where Hector deployed it, does make me wonder about that table. Is if there is actually anywhere to hide a tag in there? Um, look, he could have hidden him behind. There was some places further back, like right on the baseline, um, behind the crates that he could have hidden him. Um, but yeah, it's tricky. You you are you're right. Um. And I guess I'm looking at it from a different perspective because the tag that I'm using is so much smaller than mm. it's only a 40 mil base compared to 55. It's so much shorter. Um, so I had no problems with any of the tables that I played him on yeah. in, in, in hiding it. I think but, that's something um, I, I do bigger, forget The bigger about. tag's definitely something to, to take into account. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's something I do forget about when I, some, when I set up a table, especially some of the sort of off-the-wall tables, the compound table being one. It uses uses the Knights of Dice um, to build a Rasa buildings, which are a bit smaller in general. Like, you know, the, the smallest buildings maybe only maybe the size of an S6, yeah. um, which would not hide an s7 tag um and i think there was there was like an there was like an oasis where you could put behind there and it would have hidden it but as soon as you yep. move forward from there you'd be in the open 
Though, yeah, it might be something to take away and think about. Maybe it's just because I don't like tags. Just like fuck you, tags. Mm. I don't want you. I don't want you having a place to hide. But um, yeah, cool. Uh, so, Callum, how did your uh, final round on day one go? Yeah, uh, so I played against um, Ben with his Nomads. Um, pretty sure it's, I, I haven't actually played before, but Nomads I know is my other main faction, and his list very, very similar to how I build Nomads, uh, except that he had the Uber Falcon Commandos, whatever, the um, yeah. dogs. Uber Falcon Commandos, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I got to go first though, and I was a little bit scared of the dogs because I don't know how to use them, which means I don't know how they work, and I know warbands are good. Um, so, <clears throat> and it, but you know, uh, it was the top table of day one, so I was like, well, I think a little bit of rudeness is allowed. Here. <laughs> so I look, I was looking at his deployment, and he'd. What was the table you because, played on? Oh, it was the the one at the far, like looking at the organizer's table, the front leftmost one. So lots oh, of Oh, so um, the um the acid house terrain. That was the one that Ben actually brought, I think. The the yeah, cardboard yes, the cardboard yes, it one. Was. It was yeah. yeah, it was his it's his board. Uh and so I was sort of looking at his deployment and I was like, Oh, I reckon I can get Dart up in this, right? And he had two possible models that could be his lieutenants um based on the willpower and knowing nomads and i was like this one is just too not defended like it looks like a bait Mm -hmm. and he's too good a player to 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 um make that mistake and there's one that's a bit that's like markedly better defended so i was like it's that one so were the what were the agua seals or security or something uh, they were the moderators. Moderators, of course, yeah. Yeah. So I was. So I sort of rolled up. I took a free crack at something with um, uh, with the with my sniper. Didn't really go anywhere, and so I just um, rolled up with Dart. Walked up to his deployment zone. He started doing that because the the pal bot or whatever the Nomad version is that the engineer mm-hmm. linked bot was spotting and letting a bunch of stuff dodge. I was like, this is, and then so things are kind of working their way around corners to try and catch me out. Hang on, that's not right though. It, it was it, using the alert skill. Is it alert or is it something else? The alert or anyway, warning? It, was, it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. actually let you dodge though. It lets you. It lets you turn around. Ah, okay. Well, it it probably only mattered once because yeah, then I was sure. getting close enough that he was starting to dodge. Yeah. Um. But I rocked up and I lobbed a EM grenade out of Dart on top of his lieutenant and his Evo hacker. And the Evo hacker passed everything, but the um the the moderator went isolated. So it was spec spec fire. You said is there, is there, is yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I I I do try and not spec fire EM grenades over walls that frequently because I think it's a bit you know, uninteractive, but I was really worried about the, the dogs, and I was like, I can't see any other, other way to win this game. And all this stuff, because it was such a tall table, everything's on top of buildings, and I just can't get to it otherwise. Yeah, right. So that, I did that with Dart, and then Dart walked around the corner and murdered three, you know, moderately relevant models, and ended up in his deployment zone. But then he had to spend his first turn in loss of lieutenant. Um, uh, shout outs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lol. <laughs> um, 
and so basically did nothing with his first turn uh, and then was just in trying to salvage but then on my second turn my harris walked up and murdered more things and then by the time his his second turn rolled round, he was basically just playing for shits and giggles and started throwing stuff um into the line of fire of my multi-snipers taking because he had a, a saslamandra was the main gun piece he had right yeah um, he, he but, likes a sally yeah yeah but um the problem and the problem that i find with sally is that it can't deal with um, mimetism neg six or even mimetism neg three. And so it was just running into my um, proxy and my uh, Dakini and just bouncing off because like, you're not going to get the dice. Even though you're rolling five dice, it's, it's a hard slog. Uh, Especially if you misjudge the range band slightly, which, which happened because of the verticality of the table. Like just, you're rolling on like fours or something uh, so so that that didn't do much and then died to return fire and yeah so that that was basically the game over um i think it was like i i didn't get the most points because i didn't actually kill any lieutenants i only oh isolated um, it yeah yeah oh, of course right and then i never got, i didn't it didn't click that i could then get up onto the i could have killed it and it still would have counted as having been a lieutenant apparently so i could then kill it for the objectives but that didn't click and uh i was busy killing other things for the specialist part yeah um, so i'm not sure about that one because I, I, I know we say like if you kill it if you put it unconscious when it is a lieutenant and it's still unconscious in, in, in the, at the end of the game then it is but if if when you kill it it's no longer the lieutenant i don't know if that mm-hmm. counts but at the same right. time someone had mentioned but yeah i think i did but at the same time if it Anyway, it gets a bit confusing. I think, no, I think he's. I think he's still the lieutenant until the start of your active turn. Then he's no okay. longer the lieutenant. Yeah. So if you killed it yeah. after that, then it wouldn't. It wouldn't count. But if you isolated it and climbed up with Dart and went, yeah, then yeah. But maybe not after that fact. Whereas if you if you killed it and then they revived it and then you put it down again, then it would count mm-hmm. or something. Anyway, mm. it gets a bit confusing when you. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, really, it was basically just Dart being a superstar and both get having EM grenades in the right spot and also having MSV1 to um, just not really care what she was shooting at and murder everything with a submachine gun. Uh, so, yeah, I ended up with, I think, six six VPs for that one. Uh, like two classifieds and, and the, the killing stuff and killing specialists. Mm. Um, yeah, cool. All right, so... Um... Oh, and... The, the thing, sorry, the, the takeaway, which was super important for the next game, um, spoiler alert, is I learnt about the, as stuff, if stuff is in your deployment zone, just throw dodges with everything that can. Yes. And then once something, if stuff passes, then you get to go, okay, I, like, uh, I might stand this up or move, or work it out around a corner or something, which lets you catch those attack pieces yeah. That would otherwise just be walking through your deployment zone lets you actually catch them either out of cover or get a new aro piece into them yeah um, i i always say very to, to to new players or any player it's like they're deliberating over what to do your own if your only option is to dodge or do nothing just fucking dodge like because mm. if you pass the roll you can still do nothing you don't have to move you just be like oh, i pass the dodge but i think i'll just stay where i am yeah because it might <clears throat> because it happens in the resolution step you know, if your opponent's move moving, then you might be like, if they move, you go, I'm going to arrow dodge, 
and then they go, okay, I'm going to move again, and you're like, oh, actually, yeah, my dodge actually would take them into line of fire now. Whereas at the time, if you're like, oh, there's no point in me doing anything, it, mm. it it can be relevant to stand up from prone or, as you say, yeah, like move into move into line of fire. Yeah, super super cool dynamic um, way of the N4 now plays. But um, yeah, it's remembering it, remembering it works that way. So, uh, what's that now? Day one ended. What? How, how do we how do we both feel after at the end of day one? I was I was ecstatic. I I was ranked <laughs> first. You were top. Out, yeah, yeah. Top. I was at the top. It was a three day. If it was sorry, it was a three round event. I would have won, right? So I was I was on top of the moon. <laughs> I've never been in that position before. I was just absolutely fan, fantastic because I'd have been having a bit of a rough day as well because I'd, I'd like injured my Achilles. So I was walking around on crutches and I had a walking stick, looking very distinguished. But um, <laughs> to uh, to to be able to, to to pull up like that, super super pleased um with my with my performance on day one um and uh then we rolled into day two though. oh wait 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 before before we get into day two yeah we'll just, sure we'll just of course. T- talk about some of the some of the frivolous activities that happened in the evening yeah we went to the pub so <laughs> which was which was great we had um my wife came along um your partner kev and uh and julian's partner came along as well so uh it wasn't just a whole bunch of stinky sweaty nerds um, <laughs> had some, we had some lovely, looky, la- lovely, lovely, uh, lovely looking ladies join us as well. So, which was nice. Yeah, um, it was good. We had, we had a good turnout as well. Um, I, must, I, had, yeah, I don't we, know how many people that were there. Twenty or so, but maybe. I'm not sure. We had a really long table at um, Stomping Ground, and it looked like the table was full, and it was a very long table. Um, so there was loads of people there. Yeah, it was good. Right. I got to sit down and have a bit of a chat with the guys that came down from Sydney as well. Um, and uh, they're all real nice, lovely fellows and got to catch up with uh, with Val and, and a few other people. So awesome. Yeah, it was really good. Um, yeah, it's like a few people went home um, early. Obviously, they were, you know, uh, I think at the end of day one, it was you, Callum, and then Luke was was third. So, you know, Luke, Luke went home early because he was like, I, I've got this. I can do this. You you had another party to go to Callum, so you couldn't yeah. make it. Um, but there was, yeah, there was a lot of us there. Um, I know that um, myself and the Geelong crew went to a cocktail bar after the 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 pub, and we had a few um, a few shots and a few um, whiskey sours, uh, and then I think I fell asleep, passed out on Val's couch. I'll tell I'll tell you what I did after the pub. So my wife and I went to Gelato Messina and got ice cream. Oh, lovely! Um, in in Richmond, and like we were parked next to the place, just eating our ice cream illegally parked in the car, and um. It was like it was late. It was like ten o'clock at night, and uh, we were with that area of Richmond. There's a whole bunch of pubs, but there was like half a dozen lads with those um, electric scooters that you can hire. Oh, now. there's so many fucking many of those right? around Melbourne these days, yeah. and they're an absolute menace because they were like this road that we were parked down. It was a side street, but they were like just going top speed down the road and then just making them skid. <laughs> <laughs> Like these guys were all tanked as well, right? So yeah. <laughs> this is an absolute recipe for disaster. But um, we, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I said, I said, I said, when we when we finished our ice creams, I, I turned to my wife and said that um, as much as I would love to stay here and watch these guys hurt themselves, we, we do have to get home. So. <laughs> sensible, very, very sensible. Yeah, I think I went eventually went to bed about one thirty to two in the morning with some kebab juices on my shirt and uh, woke up feeling surprisingly okay, which I think it was probably because I was still a bit drunk, and then wandered past the cafe and then and then opened up the. The, the venue for everybody on on day two which was uh which was, I was I was glad that it wasn't super hot over the weekend it was only in the mid 20s because oh boy I was I was not <laughs> I, was feeling, I was feeling I was actually surprised that well uh, after day one I think, don't think anyone cracked a beer until after round one I think we were all being quite civilized but I think once <laughs> I think once there were a few beers you know being passed around on day one there was a few more people going oh yeah oh yeah beer oh yeah, I love one of those <laughs> and uh, that I think that really helped the 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 mood of the the day. I I know because I I had to play in round three because we had a drop, and um, and I was trying to get the game done quickly because we had to go to the pub and everything. And I think I mean, at one point Val came over and gave me a beer, and I was like, oh yes, I need this just to get me through the last like half hour of the day. Um, as you know, one of the uh, one of the cool things about the venue is that we could have brought our own alcohol in, so we were able to our own, our own food. So it was nice and. Um, nice uh like community feel like sharing people were mm. sharing the drinks and 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 whatnot um but yeah in, into day two we might go for a, a, a short break um just to uh re-water ourselves and then we'll get into the final two rounds that sound all right and do cool all right all right folks we'll be right back oh all right listeners and we're back <laughs> to um talk about the final two rounds of burn city brawl sorry i've just That's got right. ice cream in my mouth i'm just trying to swallow that um yeah, yeah so the final so two rounds we don't, we don't really have to go uh both of us this time because round four was uh me and callum pitted against each other uh yeah. for supremacy um we were on uh kev it was one of your tables your brutal city your brutal the brutal city's table um i elected to go with my shang g list and callum took his azura uh list with um with the dakini core and the the three man azura there um callum won the role chose deployment so i did have a bit of a think about if i was going to go because there's supremacy right so you might you might want to go second because it's exactly it's score to the end of each round so going second is an advantage because you have the final move into where you're going to put your pieces to get those points um i decided just to go first because i didn't like the idea of i can't i had heard that that callum had an azura and i didn't want (laughs) to give it free reign basically so that's why i then elected to go first so um lo and behold he did have the azura up there um and i we we kind of deployed i deployed my link team on one side of the table um callum counter deployed his link team on this going looking back at it down the same fire lane so that were kind of it was like a mexican standoff between our two five-man teams and then he had his um harris on the top of a building barely all prone bunkered down I'm like okay if i'm gonna win this game i have to knock out that group because um, it's kind of like the way that I see it and listening to you describe the list now as well just more confirms it for me as well, Callum, is that um, that list is very much all of your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I can get something that's that's um, 
going to be able to crack open that basket and break those eggs, then you don't have much else that you'd left to do, really. So I looked at the pieces that I had um, available to me, and I figured the best way for me to do that against the Azura is going to be in close combat. So uh, the first thing that I threw up there, I kind of met uh, pieced it out in my head with in, the, in my second group how many orders I had um, to get a Shaolin monk up there, and I figured that I could almost make it and get one close combat attack in. Um, but first off, I tried to get up there with the Beast Hunter. So Beast Hunter advances up that uh, the the right flank, um, engages your um, turret, which I'd completely forgotten existed. So the turret was down there as well. I get super close to the turret. Um, we figure out that the turret is not allowed to discover because they don't have that skill. They can only close combat or ballistic skill attack. Um, I So I engage the turret in close combat with the Beast Hunter. Um, thank, and you, sh- you, you decide to shoot. Um, obviously, it's burst three um, because it's in total, um, total reaction. Uh, you rolled an eight on your shot and we initially thought that it had ballistic skill 11 which would have meant that would have been a crit um and i like actually cheered when we found out from the tos that no it actually has ballistic skill 10 that was a miss like oh my god thank god um (laughs) um and yeah so because we're with the table we're out was right next to the to table so when they turned around and said um no it has um it has bs10 i was like okay that's great that's a miss take six armor saves (laughs) <laughs> and, and 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 everyone laughed <laughs> um but like you were mentioning before your uh that was in zone of control of at least pavati in i think in, it was the whole link or maybe the whole link and so pavati dodges and stands up so that pavati is then looking at the beast hunter um i didn't have a huge amount of orders left because it was quite a distance for me to get down there so i figured i just had to chance it with the beast hunter um and it kept kept advancing uh while pavati shot me with the um smg and i hit her with the heavy flamethrower uh i failed my armor save uh so he went down but pavati failed her armor save as well um maybe even took two wounds i can't remember but that was uh, yeah I think it was the the Yadu stood up because I tanked about which model I was going to stand up with for a while because of the possibility of it getting flamethrowered down. And he ended up taking a wound off the the um the Yadu, but it passed the second one. But who, yeah. What killed Pavardi then? Because Pavardi the, um, then the heavy rocket launcher. Oh, in, from oh, that's your right. Your reactive, okay. yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. Sure. Um. Yeah, that's right. So then I. That was basically my push. My my initial push from group one was with the Beast Hunter, which had failed. So then, okay, I've got all the orders in group two. If I convert some of these irregular ones to regular as well to do pretty much the same thing with the Shaolin Monk. He runs up and move moves through a flash pulse, which he bounces off him, which was great. Um, Climbs up some scaffolding, manages to move and then dodge in the rear arcs of of your guys that would that were prone so he doesn't get shot on the way in move and then dodge into base-to-base contact with the asura so your turn one starts with a couple of things down because my link team also engaged your link team um 
Also, I threw a bunch of bullets at that bloody Neg Six. Um, what's it called? The post human proxy. The proxy. And yeah, it just, I just couldn't. I could not win a face to face against it. Yeah, um, one, one dice on thirteens against often what ends up being like a number of dice on. You had it on tens. Other people had it on like sevens without the five man link. Yeah, it's it, it can, and then the extra the extra wound. Yeah, she's hard to move. Yeah, um, so. Which I didn't have enough orders to hit you in close combat, but I was okay. I was happy with the fact that I'd at least gotten there, given you something that was pretty difficult for you to then have to deal with. Um, you elected to then shoot into that close combat at point blank range with the what was it? The um, Absara. Pavadi Pavadi tried first and then got blown up by your hidden deployment um, heavy rocket launcher. That's right. Because uh, I then tried to dodge that, didn't work, failed all the armor saves, died. Uh, so then the Yadu turns around and because the, the uh, Sura is like CC 20, I'm not going to beat the monk. Um, so yeah, I'm just like, screw it. I just have to try this. So I start, bl- anyway, I started blasting. And <laughs> anyway, the, sorry. <laughs> um, and yeah, the Yadu first time cracks the Asura twice. Yeah, and misses both the arms. shots because when, yeah. when, when you're shooting a close combat, if you miss, you hit your own guy. So Hits the hits the Asura twice, fails one of the armor saves. Um, uh, so yeah, caps a wound into the Asura, does it again. Um, this time manages to cap the monk successfully. Uh, so then I I just sort of moved up, took some quadrants, scored objectives, killed a few things, ended up again with the link on top of a building. Yeah, and so then the moving into my second turn, so you've scored. More object, more quadrants in the first turn because that link is worth like a hundred points, right? L- literally a hundred and forty-eight or a hundred and forty-seven <laughs> points. I think. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's only <laughs> there's only the two of them left in it at the moment, so there's a, there's a, there's a hundred points there that you're putting wherever you want. And, um, I didn't. I mean, on reflection, maybe I could have moved the link team towards it in the second turn. Um, rather than trying to advance on it in the third turn, which I eventually did. But I had a Guilang right there, um, right next to your link, um, which had a boarding shotgun. He walks up one ladder. You discover him for free um, with you because, of course, you do. But he stands in a position where I could, I was had the line of fire on both of the guy, both of your two things there, and start just pumping boarding shotgun armor piercing rounds at point blank range into the asura um while copying the shots from um from your other guy and the asura is trying to dodge and i reckon it was probably maybe three or four rounds of 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 that and i might have done one wound but tanked all the armor saves as well until he finally my guy finally goes down um and it was after, from there you then proceeded to, to I guess reposition again to score more in the second round. Um, so then, I ju- like I just couldn't. That I didn't really have much left up my sleeve by that point because everything that was on that flank of the table had been taken out. Um, so I split up the link team, left a couple in the quadrant I was holding, moved the um, the Shangji and Adil and the paramedic over towards oh sorry and one of the hackers so i could get the bonus for pushing the buttons over to where your um asura was 
to try and engage them. And I just didn't have enough orders to get up to where they were on the building and, and engage them. I did manage to push three buttons along the way. Um, so I got some points, but um, there just wasn't, uh, it was, I, I felt like I'd, I'd gassed everything I could in the first two turns to try and take them out and just couldn't crack it. Um, but it was an, it was, that was probably the most tense and, uh, yeah, pr- tense would be the right word. Probably the most tense game of Infinity I've ever had. Yeah, um, it was, a, it was so a really good one. It was tight. Every dice roll mattered. There was no gotchas. There was no bad elements. You know, there was like a bit of swingy luck, but neither of us had terrible luck. You know, it went back and forth a bit. It was good. It was a good game. Excellent. Yeah. So then we... Anything else to add from your side on that one, Callum, or...? No, that that's that's pretty much it. Like all all my decision points were around the the Harris and mostly responding to the stuff that you threw at it because yeah. that's the nature of it that I had seconds. So once I dealt with whatever you threw at it, I just had to kind of do some ballpark math of, yeah, I reckon your guy's not you know worth more than these two, so I'll just position here. Like you walked the tiger soldier and I was like, no, I bet Dart is more points than a tiger soldier with a, a combi. So I'll just leave her in that quadrant and I'll score yep. sort of thing. Mm. So. Yep. Did I did either of you wish that you'd taken your other list? I don't. Because um, the Brutal City's table is pretty dense. Uh, yeah, it did have long fire lanes though. Down, I mean, you had the plants in the way, but with the elevations, then they the didn't guts. really come into um, come into it. So I, I, I don't think I would have taken the other list, or particularly where um, Callum's got the hacking device plus. Um, I don't want to necessarily walk in to be possessed with my tag. Good point. It's one of the things about the Asura why I really like the hacking device profile is that she defends herself. You put her on a building and she defends herself against being hit by a tag or heavy infantry, like the really scary attack pieces. Yeah. Because of that bubble of, you you just can't come near me. Mm. And that's like that's why I elected that my first my first play was to throw skirmishes yeah. uh, at it, because they're going to get straight through the hacking, and then if they get into close combat, I can maybe do a couple of wounds. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a good game. It was a tight game. It Like, the scoreline was almost entirely to me, but the game was a lot tighter than the scoreline said. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, so we so we enter uh, the final fifth and final round of, of Burn City Brawl with uh, Callum on top table against yep. Luke and Nicholas. You were on the second table against Julian? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, so we, had a, we had a lull off on the final round. That's right. Um my uh, my my Chinese versus his Americans. It was the um, uh, war games around the South China Sea. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what we were playing at. But um, yeah, capture and protect. I'll, I'll just go through this quickly. It was um, I took the the blue wolf list again um, this time because I <laughs> it hadn't failed me yet. Um, so it uh, I won the roll and. Uh, chose deployment, and then Julian elected to go second. Uh, so he deployed first and went second. Why do you think he did that? Because 
of the mission and the way that we've talked about it and just talking about it on the day as well is that um, I had talked so much shit about capture and protect that if you can't, if you go first, you can't win this mission. That's basically my take on it. Um, lo and behold, I went first and won nine one. So um, <laughs> I, don't, I obviously <laughs> I am not an expert. I, I mean, no you had an about. advantage. You had a you had a pretty significant advantage in that uh, he he in deployed. That he'd taken USARF or well that is uh, that and and uh, going going first, uh, deploying first and going second is yep. a bit of a disadvantage. If it had, if it had been the other way around and he had picked. Deployment. If he'd won the role and picked deployment, I would have picked to go second. Um, oh right, you would have done that too. I would have done. I would have done the same thing he did. Right. Um, but I think my list was just more better positioned to be able to hold my own objective, mm. uh, my own beacon. I have so many mines, so many pieces that um, are in camouflage around there that I can just look, drop on you when I want to drop them on you. Um, but so anyway, I I, um, I went first. He stripped a couple of orders, but I still um, advanced with the Blue Wolf and took out some of his ARO pieces. And then I was it, I was surprised at how easy it was for me to take out all the things that he had covering his beacon because um, he didn't really have that much covering it. Uh, and then was it was it have, was, he would have had the marauder he had the marauder, yeah, marauder he had the, core covering he had the it marauder core covering it yeah. but he only had like two things of the core standing up everything else was like on a staircase facing not facing towards where the beacon which, was well which makes which makes sense you wouldn't want more than that anyway um yeah but he didn't have any deployables down there was no mm. mines there was nothing that i needed to dodge through there was no camo pieces standing in the middle there that um that yeah. were particularly um in my way um, and yeah. then his and then no hacking had, either, did, right? Exactly. And then he had the unknown ranger with two other dudes in the very back corner, hidden away, not not interacting with that at all. Right. And so once I took out a few things and then um, spent some command tokens to convert my irregular orders and get my tag back into my deployment zone, so it was more more of a defensive position. Um, I then spent all the orders in my second group. And converted to some of the, I think I used all my command tokens in the first turn. Yeah, I think you um, said, I think you said that. Yeah, because uh, I converted two from the top pool and then two from the second pool, um, because then I used the motorbike to zoom zoom straight up to the uh, beacon. The, it was in a tricky spot though because it was on top of a little elevated platform that was higher than S four, so I couldn't vault up onto it. Mm. I had to dismount to be able to vault onto it, but that, so it cost me an extra order to pick the thing up, um, which is not the end of the world, but, and then spending the extra two command tokens, I had his beacon back in my deployment zone in the first turn. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, then he just didn't really have anything that was mobile enough to, cause he had a couple of bikes in his list as well. And I took them out in the first turn, um, with the blue wolf, so he didn't really have anything left that was particularly mobile or already outside his deployment zone that could contend with the array of deployables and camo markers that were still sitting around that I that I'd placed there. Um, so he didn't do much in his first turn, and then my second turn, the beast hunter made a beeline for the unknown ranger, and. Um, Chewed him up. What? 
What? Yeah, beast hunter just because they're both like they're both natural born warriors. Yeah, right. right they, yeah. they both they both have that same gimmick, which when you're not actually using martial arts means nothing. And I'm on burst two versus his burst one, so yeah, he was like he was burst one twenty threes. I was burst two, uh, twenty ones. And yeah. but with explosive as well. So yeah. whenever he loses, he takes all of the armor saves in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, he did eventually in his third turn, he did manage to uh, walk something and just sort of there was a tiny line down from the top of one building that he could walk to avoid line of fire of the mines that I'd placed. So he managed to then touch his his my objective and pick it up so that I ended with nine points at the end instead of ten because um, my beacon was taken. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, it was uh, it was it was it was pretty crazy um, to be, be considering how much absolute shit I've talking spoken about this mission on multiple episodes of this podcast, saying that the only way to win is if you go second. Um, for me to then come out, go first, and and take it, I, I surprised myself to be honest. <laughs> there you go. I think that we we talked a bit about that the the deploying first and going second and i i hold that you can only do it if you're playing against someone that doesn't have good alpha strike capacity like mm. if you if you deploy first and go second mm-hmm. against a faction like oss um that you know can run those kind of units that will just walk over the board you know shoot your AO pieces walk over the board and wipe you out of your own deployment zone um, it's it's super risky to in any mission. Doesn't matter how important like going second is, if you just lose the game before you you even get the opportunity. Yeah, there's definitely definitely armies and factions that can just stop an alpha strike with null mm. deploying deployables, hacking nets, repairs, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and bit like I mean, I guess Julian only had well, you have two. Well, I guess he had three bikes. I mean, I don't know how the deployables were deployed, but if it were me, I'd be like, yeet one bike in, blow up all the mines, yeet the second bike in, grab the thing, run, profit. Yeah, if, I, if, I mean, if he'd gone I, first. I, I, he had, he'd, yeah, if he'd, if he'd gone first. If he'd gone first, yeah. Yeah, so... Because you had no... I mean, other than the Hunden, I guess you had two long yards. as well. No, there's two long yards standing up as well. True, uh, yeah. My... My Guilang and my um, Beast Hunter were positioned in a way that they could also interact with things coming towards the, um, the what's it called? The beacon. beacon. Yeah. So um, it's not just deployables. It's also units. Yeah. Um, the units, some of the units as well were standing up so that you might mistake them for a deployable um, mm. when they burst out and it turns out, no, yeah. I'm actually the Beast Hunter or something like that. Your list sounds pretty brutal to play against for that <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right, Callum. So, what? How did you? How did you get on in your final game? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I was up against Luke and his um, Onyx uh, yeah, contact. There was a, there was uh, a little bit of a commotion online about uh, Onyx and OSS being top table on the uh, BCB. <laughs> apparently, they're apparently yeah. Onyx is bad. Mm. Um, <laughs> the but like I mean, as as we said, this is not this tournament. While being big, probably wasn't reflective of a hyper competitive. Um, meta, uh, but the the he had brought a sphinx, like sort of the normal stuff, a sphinx, a noctifier, um, 
and uh, a sort of six-man link. I think there was some redundancy in there. Mm-hmm. And I was running my other list because the table was super sparse, even after we fixed it up a bit before the round started. Uh, so I needed that like HMG at BS19 effectively to even be able to think about mess- like engaging any of his stuff. So I won the lieutenant role, which is probably the most impactful thing that happened. So I got to choose deployment. He elected to go first after tanking about it for a while because, you know, he didn't know if I was going to be taking the Asura. And if that was what I took, I almost certainly could have just rolled him on the first turn. Um, So he drops a grief operator. Is that the one? The impersonation one? Yeah. And first first orders of the game gets his classified, which is enormous because... I think this mission that break very off. frequently, yeah, it comes down to you, no one gets anywhere, and so who gets their classified win? So, like so. the three, the three of us had lunch um, between the two rounds, and I had said that to both of you. It's like, mm-hmm. guys, get the classified because so many times I have played this mission and it ends zero, one zero, and the person who won is the one who got the classified. Yeah, yeah. So you you were exactly correct, and he did the classified with his first order of the game. So. That was um that was pretty good uh, for him, and then he uh, he looked at my deployment um and rolled his sphinx up into my deployment. It was very hard to have it, anything really safe in my deployment zone because of this table. Uh, so he puts his sphinx in my deployment zone, kills my um Shuk- uh, Shukra, Shukra lieutenant because I had I had thought essentially that. Climbing plus uh, rules interactions between N3 and N4. So I thought that if he stood up onto a something to be able to see it, he'd just cop the entire world of fire. Uh, but he would he counted in cover for the for that whole action. So um, he copped a couple of wounds but didn't go down. And so end of the first turn, he'd killed my lieutenant, put me in loss of lieutenant. Um, but the but had taken a couple of wounds on his sphinx. Um, so then I started and uh, just sort of shot a few bits and pieces. Um, he, he uh, like, we just sort of traded things across the board, um, and I just solidified my position. He, in his turn, he left the Sphinx where it was because I dropped a repeater near it, so he needed to kill my hacker if he wanted to move safely. Uh, and I had a bunch of stuff just sitting near the Sphinx, which none of them are good gunfighters, but they're all threatening because it's only on one wound. Enough, and it's only so, armor sex, yeah. Yeah, so um, so he, he elects to try and kill my hacker, manages to kill my hacker, but, um, but because he's ended up sh- getting in a shooting match with my um, missile launcher bot that comes the rebot FTO option, uh, and we threw... A quiv- basically very similar dice at each other except he threw more but we crit each other both, like we crit cancelled each other twice mm. and then on the third one I, I blew him off the table so that was a lot of orders that he sank to get literally nowhere so then he, he killed my hacker but couldn't evac the sphinx um, because he'd run out of orders so then in my turn I was the, the sphinx was sitting in a um, in a, a neg 3 neg 1 burst zone I was like, oh, I don't have any, I don't have any templates. How am I going to move this thing? And I, I get Dart into a good position and start just shooting with the SMG. And so I'm cancelling half his mimetism. I'm cancelling the 
um, the trees yeah. uh, with her MSV1. And so I managed to take out the Sphinx uh, and then walk up and compl- fail twice and get it on the third one, final order, um, to complete my classified, uh, the the one that you have to pass a whip roll at plus three, um, sort of the coup de grace-esque one. Oh, yeah. And um, pull, pull the Sphinx off the table with that. So then he can't repair it. I've got it. I've got it classified. At this point, there's only 15 minutes left because we've we've got caught up in a lot of like really finicky rules interactions and um, that were actually mattered a lot to the game. And it's the final table, whereas normally I, you know, probably both of us would just be like, oh, whatever, who cares? We'll just move on. But they mattered, so we we got stuck on time and deployment because it was hard. So we looked at it and sort of said, I think we just ha- I think we just call it a draw, like. Um, the draw was obviously beneficial to me because I walk, we both knew I'd walked into the final table like a break, winning the tiebreakers. Um, uh, but it was going to be pretty difficult for him to win, get an outright win. For him to try and get the win almost certainly would have... If he failed, I probably would have got the win and um, then he would have lost second place. So uh, mm. we... We decided to second place would have gone to me. <laughs> Gentlemen, gentlemen's agreement <laughs> to to do the draw. What an anticlimax! Yeah. <laughs> no, it was just it was that the exact thing that happens with um, capture and protect, where we just traded resources for the whole game. Um, both our beacons were really well protected, but getting to the other person's beacon was going to be almost impossible. So we just went no, like. For 15 minutes left, it's never going to happen. So yeah. what, what was the score? One all? 2-2. Two, 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 you get two. one point for not, oh, having, for holding, for not yeah. having your beacon taken. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. and one point for your classified. So 2-2. Two, two. Yep. Yeah. And then you, you said to me before, I, I fucking hate you, Kevin. Why did you make the Catch and Protect the last mission? And I said, because it was a tricky one, and I want you guys to think about it on the last. But yeah. Hmm. It, was a, it was a tricky one. Like, you succeeded in that. Um <laughs> But yeah, but, it is uh, it is one of those missions that does it does lend itself to a draw, and I think my 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 thinking on it was it does lend itself to a draw. But if you're going to the top tail table, you're going to push R to try to win. But what I didn't think about was that you might just be like, let's just draw, <laughs> and then well, I, put, look, we didn't try. <laughs> well, no, yeah, yeah. When it's when it's game five, when there's five games with thirty two players, it works out that a draw is good. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, if you're playing two day a uh, one day tournament like three games then you have to push for the win because a draw will always be terrible for you because someone will submarine you yeah 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 right so yeah um so the end of uh end of five rounds yeah uh, yeah callum as you said you you finished on 22 tp 36 op and over a thousand bp which so what is that out of out of 25 yeah i guess yeah that was that's right yeah four four majors and one draw and then that's the same with with um, Luke, four majors and a draw. And then yourself, Nick, you had four majors and a loss. So um, I don't I don't know if that's unusual or not to go through a five round game and have third place with four majors and a draw. But I think maybe that's oh, sorry, four majors and a loss, loss for you, Nick. But I mean, again, maybe that's just reflective of the player mixture of players that we had. Um. um. Yeah, I mean, like, statistically, I think it makes sense, though, that, like, there's no reason you can't have... Um, no, there's not. No, there's not. In terms I, I, of the way the numbers add up. Yeah. Like, you, know, you don't have to have 
four people who have had five. I mean, yeah, two people who have had four, five wins to come first and second. Yeah. But no, if you have a, throw the draw in there, then there was just nobody yeah, in the top. Know. There was just nobody in the top five um, anyway that won four of their games, but not. But they, basically, they were all majors, so everyone had like that's right like twenty that, points. That's, that's, that's that's the thing that kind of throws it about, and like the, the, when they changed the scoring in the latest season to have the whereas before you had major wins and minor wins, now you just have win, uh, offensive bonus, defensive bonus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have a sorry, a win or a win with an offensive bonus. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to see that for the at least the top of it, there was no one in there who had wins without offensive bonuses yeah they all had five points or more in all of your games which i guess makes sense except for obviously the last round um for yourself and, and look um that was a draw but um yeah I so missions a lot like firefight and highly classified will just almost inevitably be majors um because of the way the scoring structured supremacies a bit more balanced data cache is a bit more balanced but still reasonably swingy mm. so yeah, that's a good observation. You're right. Yeah, you said before, you had a classified, basically, if you win, you get five points, like, as standard. Mm. Uh, the only way not to do that is to get is to draw on classifieds and then get your own one or something like that. But yeah. 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 So at the end of round five rounds, we had, um, uh, it was, you know, first place was yourself, uh, then Luke, uh, yourself, Nick. Val was fourth and Hector was fifth, so that was OSS on first, Onyx was second, White Banner's third, Morats was fourth, and Akari came fifth. Um which is pretty cool. Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty pretty nice, interesting spread there in the in the top five. Uh the the the, the bottom five, I guess, the, the other top five, um we have uh Jacob, um who's a new player. He actually ended up scoring, hey, scoring, winning the best new player award. So this uh, Jacob Ridley, he this is his very first tournament he's played. He's played probably you know a dozen games or so um, with his uh, with his mate uh, Tristan. He lived they lived down the, in the peninsula, and I think he's played a few games on TTS as well. So he's he's experienced enough. But it's, as far as this is his first event, his first tournament, coming sixth with OSS as well. Um. Uh, yeah. Really, really impressed with with him there. Um. Getting in, getting in uh, sixth place. And then sorry, I was just, sorry, just something as a side. I was just looking at the scores, and when you said before that Callum had thirty six OP, I ended the day with forty OP. You did end. Uh, you did end so, forty OP. Yeah. So if if we're looking at OP, I I I did better than you, Cal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did beat you in a game. <laughs> <laughs> the all-important win. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a good point. Yeah, the forty for yourself, Nick. Um, uh, and the, yeah, so the yeah the reigning top five is OSS, Invincible Army, uh, Julian with USARF, uh, JSA, which is another new player, Josh, and then running at top ten was David with Combined Army. So really great to see two players in the top ten who are uh, walking into their very first, not only their very first like. 2D event, but their very first like tournament period, um, which is really good because like they ended up you know finishing above you know people who've been you know around for a bit longer you know Julian and and Lachlan and uh, a couple others. So that's yeah, it's really good. So you know, well played to them. It, uh, 
Um, yeah, because yeah, we, we did want to um, shout out the new players during the award ceremony. So not only did we have a first, second and third for top players, so the, the two of you and Luke, we also did a top three best new players award, which was basically based on whether or not you've played a tournament before. Um, wasn't based on how many games you played because that doesn't necessarily reflective of how good a player you are. As you mentioned um, yourself, Nick, the, the the three guys who played a lot of games together played a lot of like you know they just played themselves, so they they had a particular way of playing. So when you put them into a larger meta, it uh, changes how how they go. So um, that was really good to to have that um, as well. Um, so we, yeah, we'll. What else will we talk about then? Do, 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 do. I think that just about covers it. I think it does. Oh, um, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about the scoring. So, for the listeners out there, we did do online scoring. So typically, you know, but in the other tournaments you might have played in, you you would write your scores on a piece of paper, take it to TO, TO put it in the in the spreadsheet or OTM, and then that would generate the new pairings. For this event, BCB, we did QR codes for all the scorings. People would then input their own score, their opponent's score, and then we had an Excel spreadsheet that basically validated the scores and then automated the, the next the next rounds. Um, I just want to get your feedback on what you thought about you putting your own scores in. I mean, I thought it was fine. I, I still wrote it down on a piece of paper and then just went up and scanned the code and typed it in my phone. So, like, I don't think it was really any different than um, doing it manually or, or everyone inputting it on their phones themselves. I think the, the end result's the same. Yeah, no, so, but the, the intention of it was to take the burden away from the TOs. Okay, sure. That was the point of it. So you weren't coming up and saying, you know, hey, I need my score entered. You know, you just did it yourself. And then we just yeah. had a formula that made made sure that you and your opponent inputted them incorrectly. Well, I mean, as a TO, you could probably talk to it better than we could, Kev. How did it actually go from the back end? Um, did it work? Yeah, no, yeah, it worked very well. The only problem we had, and I think something we'll correct for next time, is we allowed you to put your TP in, which we um, some people got wrong. Uh, actually, a lot of people, well, not a lot, several yeah. people got wrong because they would forget the offensive bonus or the defensive bonus, or they'd just put in like the wrong number um so i think for future reference we'll just remove tp and we'll do what otm does which is just put your op in and then we'll put a formula in that that says if you score if you scored five or more points you get um like five points yeah. rather than um, working it out because there was a few there's a couple of corrections it wasn't a lot but it really helped us because it meant that we could dedicate our time going around and checking out the tables and, and asking you know, answering questions and actually being tools rather than just data entry monkeys mm. um, and also it took away like the, we might enter them incorrectly whereas the, the burden the onus was in on the player to make sure they entered them incorrectly and all we would do is just have a formula that just made sure that Nick if you put in five for your points and then Callum put in four for your points then that would come up as a flag and be like hey one of you guys put the wrong number in yeah, and then they may chase you up. So we're definitely going to use that formula again. It really helps automate the whole process and keeps the keeps the game going. Um, yeah, very clever. Yeah, very clever. That, no, it, it made made a lot of sense as an approach, and weren't any issues from our end. So I figure it makes your life much easier. Um, in terms of scoring, I guess the the thing I was going to ask about because you had uh, you guys had a uh, a paint score every round, and then also a sportsmanship score every round, which I'm always a big fan of incorporation in tournaments um as a uh, like just yeah just encouraging people to play nice um 
and lets you awards best sports and things. Did you give any thought to having a best overall? Is how I often used to see it, see like Warhammer Fantasy back in the day. Is that there'd be a first place was like the best general, irrespective, and then best combo of a of majority points of how well you like your actual scores, but then some modifier of painting and sportsmanship. Yeah, so that is something that I personally would like to do, but I want to gauge the community reaction to that because it's not something that is done in Infinity. It's definitely something that's done in other game systems, but um, I, I, yeah, I want to find out what people actually think about that. So for this for this one, at least we just sort of separated it out and we just had the sports score and the painting score separately. So they were marked out of five. Um, borrowed it from um, Ryan he gave us the ones for ARC 40k because ARC 40k does do that combines them all together I believe um, and then we just kind of modified it slightly because they, they mark it of 10 10 feels too granular for something that maybe the Infinity community is not too familiar with doing so we marked it at 5 so you know where 1 is the worst thing worst game we've ever played and 5 is the best game and then same for painting scores although painting scores are a bit more um like the rubric's a lot easier to follow. Like you know, if they're not painted, it's a you know one. If they're like at least painted, it's a three, and then after that is is more, um, which is great. Um, for two re- for two reasons, it's good because in the past when we've done sports scores, it's like you just say who is your favorite opponent, and the problem with that is it leads to a lot of draws because people are just like you know will they'll just say like the same opponent like different opponents will all get the same point. Um, so then marking out of five meant that there was a clear winner. And the other thing it did as well is it let us, it flagged if there was any problems in between rounds. Like, you know, we could go and look at the sports score after round one or two. Anyone with a one or a two, we might just keep our eye on um, or go talk to the people who gave them that and just like ask them, were they okay? Um, so it helps us keep an eye on that. Um, and then the painting score, well, it's just a bit of fun. Um, and again, the um, painting the painting thing can be a pain in the ass because when we've done armies on parade before, what will happen is at lunchtime you'll ask everyone to put your armies on parade, but then people will forget, or they'll um, if they've got half a painted army, they'll just put the painted stuff on the parade, um, and then you've got to find a table that's like free, and then people will forget to take their models off before the start of the fourth round, ra- fifth round, and they're like, oh fuck, I'm gonna grab my models, and not everyone votes, and it's just this way is like a consistent way. Of everyone getting like the same score across the day and it basically is there to reward you if you've painted a fully if you've got a fully painted army um like julian for example had like maybe half or three quarters of his army it was really beautifully painted it wasn't fully painted so he can't get the best paint score even though like say on armies from armies on parade he could he could feasibly just take the unpainted models out and then win the award um, so this really rewarded for me people who had put the effort into building a whole army out and said like this is what I'm taking I painted it it doesn't actually necessarily need to be the best painted it just is the paint it is the people who have gone through that effort to to actually have a fully painted army on the day um, which I which I value and it mean it, it, it then means like people are it's more evenly I guess um, what's the word are uh, spread awarded out um yeah um, that makes sense i think that's a, a good approach to it yeah um but the, as for the overall um it's something i would be keen to do and have like a mm-hmm. best overall based on like so still have like you know, like you say first second third and uh, maybe a, be- a best painted best sports and then just the best overall 
really kind of elevates that person who comes with the Philippine army, is a good general and a great sport. And it just kind of, like that spirit of infinity kind of really is at the paramount of this game as much as it is a, as it is a competitive game. And I think people sometimes just hold on to that competitive style too much. Um, and, and, you know, saying, oh no, it should be always on, you know, it should only be ranking on like how you could do, how well you do in your games. And I just don't think that's what Infinity is all about. Um, it's, it's, it's a competitive game. It's a good competitive set, but it's also one of those games where I got into it because of the immersion as much as the, the rule set. So, and, and, and the, and the, com- and the camaraderie of the, the game too. So, I think yeah. ne- I think you know it's definitely something that we consider for for future, but it will be very much dependent on how the community kind of um, reacts to that. Mm. Sounds good. Yep. Uh, good. Right. So, is there anything else we wanted to talk about there? Oh, I, I, I guess I just I shout out the people. So, uh, best sports was um, Tarot. Uh, Kanko, who came from New South Wales, and best painted was Frank Taylor, who's the guy you played on round two, was it? Yeah, he had the military orders, beautifully painted, um, really lovely red um, knights he he brought, and uh, Taro apparently he he got a perfect score. Uh, everyone loved playing against him. He was um, what was he running? Ooh, Taro was running Invincible Army, and um, yeah, and those guys were great. The, the the two of them came out with us uh, to the cocktail bar afterwards, and we had we had we had, we had several drinks. So. They they both um, it was really great meeting them and hopefully they come across for the next one. Cool, cool. Well, cool. I think we'll probably wrap it up there then. Uh, Kev, Callum, it's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, on the cast this evening. Thanks for recapping all your games and uh, talking through the event with us. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, if you haven't already, we can get you the lists uh, list codes off you guys. We can put them on our Discord. Um, the people I'm sure would like to know what they were, and um, if you guys have any questions or queries about the, uh, sorry, listeners uh, out there, if you have any questions about the event, um, hit us up on our Discord. We're more than happy to share share stories as well as um, share the um, the scoring responses that Pete made up. Uh, and shout out to Pete especially for doing all those formulas because that was my I had this intention this idea but I'm not as well versed in Excel as he is and he was able to do all the formulas for me so shout out to him and uh, and shout out to Chris as well for um, helping with the design of the of the the logo and ordering the keep cups. You've Let's been, wrap it up. You've been listening to Loss of the Tenant. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I forgot to sit and say my own name. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. All right. Yeah, your name's Nick. My my name's Kevin. And this is and that was and that was Callum. That was Ka- and that was Callum. <laughs> and you've been listening to Lawson Ten. Thank you. Ah, uh, fuck. <laughs>